In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Tom Sadlot, and we've got a great show for you. We are breaking down British director Matthew Vaughn's eight feature-length films. Joining me for the discussion are the Hobby Box, Joe Burns. hey Dr. C, Casey Aline. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And the amazing, incomparable Mrs. Oyo, Phoenix Sidlachik. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Burns, this is your first time on the movie episode. For the record, what do you think of my taste in cinema? Uh, it's, it's interesting to say the least. I wouldn't say that, uh, I agree with a lot of your takes on movies, so we'll see how things line up, uh, today. Well, we both um, agree that but, basketball is a timeless classic, right? Yeah, basketball is a timeless classic. You just have some other weird hot takes that are just baffling to me. Okay, what do you think is my worst take on a movie? Ah, uh, so that's a problem. I was trying to think of what some of them were, and I don't remember. I just remember scoffing so many times when you say different things. Yeah, well, I said uh, that Daniel Craig sucks just to annoy you both because I uh, okay. know that you're both fans of his. Uh, Casey, yeah, you fun. take a much more pointed opinion towards my taste in cinema. Why is uh, your subjective taste on taste in movies so much better than mine, my friend? I can't say that I watch more movies than you because I feel like you watch a lot of movies and I think you maybe just watch different genres of movies than I do, well, perhaps. I don't know. I think I, it's fair I to say that... crappy movies over and over again, too, though. But, yeah, sorry, <laughs> I, go ahead. I think it's fair to say that you do watch a lot more movies than me. I've never been a big movie guy since, like, even my teen years. I've seen a fair amount of stuff, but, like, everyone on this podcast is much more of a movie buff than I am. Phoenix, you're our household movie expert. You set most of our entertainment agenda. <laughs> what do you think of my taste in movies? Well, It's we, great, right? That's yeah, why you married me? Because yeah, I like great totally. movies? Yeah. <laughs> no. um, I mean, we have different tastes at times. I mean... Well, what do we disagree on? I it, love everything you love. Well, you love the films I like, but... This oh, you hate the, everything that I like. You hate This is the End? This is the Is that end. what this is about? It's... It's an okay film, but I'm not going to rank it very high on my list of films to watch. So, <laughs> or I'm sorry. You love the two well, towers, don't you, honey? I well, it, the one film I've really had a hard time getting through. I should try to watch it again. But your all-time favorite, Slackers? <laughs> no, um, uh, the pot one with the knights. Your Highness. Your Highness. <laughs> your Highness is not my all-time favorite movie. Let's be absolutely clear on okay, that. But I. It is so reminiscent of me playing D&D and like I've never been I've never smoked pot. I've never really been attached to that culture. But like that movie is like Tom D&D on the big screen. It's like oh See, my god, like all the phallic humor that's speaking from my heart. Well, I get that point, but um I just I should try to watch it again cuz I know it reminiscent of you playing D&D with your friends and stuff, but it, it's hard with movies because we all have a certain type of film we like. Um, I like my romance, um, rom-coms. I, I don't know if Joey and Casey are that into rom-coms, but I love them. Casey's shaking his head no. <laughs> 
romance, but so I he do... clearly hates romance with a burning, fiery passion. <laughs> but I do love my actions, my noir films, my Asian films. So, I mean, it's all subjective. So it's hard to say someone's taste is better than another person's because it's all subjective in the end, you know? Yeah. Hey, what do you think of Blade Runner, honey? Okay. <laughs> ah. It's very slow. It, it's very hard to get through, and you have to be in the right mind space at this time period of watching movies because it was done so many years ago. But it is a slower film, so you need to be prepared for that. Yeah, I can't wait until we have our Blade Runner discussion, and you can talk about why you hate it with a burning, fiery passion. No, no, I, just, I, I can't dispute it. It is a slow movie. It's. I think it's uh, more. I don't know how, how to say it, but it's 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 it is what it is, and people like it. I think more for its historical value than for the actual quality of, of movie that it is. Although I think there are some parts of that movie that are are fantastic. But yes, that's for another show at another time. Yeah, it's actually for the August episode. So look for our Blade Runner discussion in your podcast feed on August first. Before we break into our Matthew Vaughn discussion, we'd like to say a heartfelt thank you to our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn, as in Minnesota, the great state of, dot com. If you enjoy our content, support the show at patreon.com slash OIO. You can also follow all of us on social. You can email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow me at TomSidLogicOIO on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. That is an old uh, show note carryover. Follow Burns at HobbyBoxBurns on X and Twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. Follow Phoenix at PhoenixSidLogicOIO on Instagram. Follow Dr. C at Dr. underscore Casey on X. And follow the show at Facebook.com slash OutsideIsOverrated. Alright, so it's our annual movie show. Each year... We take a director, we watch his entire catalog of films, or in some cases, uh, most of their catalog of films, we break down their style, and then we rank their films. In the past, we've covered Guy Ritchie, Quentin Tarantino, Peter Jackson, Taika Waititi last year, and now British director Matthew Vaughn. If you're a fan of those other directors, you should really jump back in the OIO podcast feed and check out some of those other shows. Matthew Vaughn was a successful movie producer. He was working on smash hits like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch with Guy Ritchie. When Guy Ritchie backed out of directing Layer Cake, Vaughn was pushed kicking and screaming into the directorial role by his wife, Claudia Schiffer. His catalog of films in chronological order, Layer Cake in 2004, Stardust in 2007, Kick-Ass in 2010, X-Men First Class in 2011, Kingsman, The Secret Service in 2014, Kingsman, The Golden Circle in 2017, The King's Man in 2021, and Argyle in 2024. A quick, quick question. Every time someone says kick-ass, do you have to edit that out of the podcast then? Oh, man, this is going to be the worst show to edit. Why do we do this in February, the short month? Thank you for pointing that out. I think since it's the title and it's only one of the movies, I think you could let it slide with that. You know, if all of his movies had swear words, so if it was like X-Men f- class and Kingsman the <laughs> service or something like that, you know, then, you know, the <laughs> man, like then you'd probably have to like edit a lot of those, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it would probably good if you just have kick-ass and that's it. <laughs> 
Stupid naming conventions aside, Vaughn's first few films were a crime drama and a fantasy epic. Phoenix, you were the driving force for this episode. What drew you to have us cover Matthew Vaughn? Well, we had been toying with a couple different directors. Um, I was pushing hard for Jon Favreau. Yeah, that was the one we were leaning towards. But once the trailer dropped for Argyle, I was like, babe, 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 just bugging you till you watch the trailer because... I do enjoy my uh, action, stylized action films is what we came up with the term. Um, And you love cats. (laughs) No dogs. (laughs) But um, it just looks so cool by the trailer. And I thought, well, Matthew Vaughn hasn't done a whole lot. It would be interesting to touch on it. And it's a new film coming out in the theater. So it would be timely to do his films. And it's always good to maybe talk about a director who has a new film coming out so so i was excited for it we'll talk about it more later about the movie but the trailer made me really excited to see the film so yeah we were pretty jazzed after the trailer casey you're such a good sport about oio you did the firefly show with us even though it was just me trolling you um i texted you and said hey we're gonna do matthew vaughn for the director show you're like who the frick is matthew vaughn i'm like kingsman like oh yeah, cool. I've seen those movies. Yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was really funny once I started looking up his catalog and was like, I love that movie. I've seen that movie like ten times. Hey, I love that movie too. So, I, I mean, thanks for inviting me because I, I really like a lot of his content. So, getting to watch some of the other ones that I haven't seen, these first two that we're going to st- discuss uh, specifically, um, w- was pretty cool to see his earlier stuff. And Burns, what was your level of excitement to make your debut on the movie show, which has traditionally been a break for you, and we say, hey, we're doing Matthew Vaughn, you get no input into this whatsoever. I mean, I wasn't super familiar, like, especially with the name, I I wasn't familiar with that off the top of my head at all. Um, Out of his movies, I had seen Kick-Ass and uh, X-Men First Class. Uh, I think I saw Stardust 2. A lot of it was familiar when I watched it again this time so i think i've watched it at one point but i didn't remember much of it um so yeah otherwise i hadn't seen any of his more recent stuff at you all. hadn't seen like so, kingsman the secret no, service i've never seen it i just kind of missed the kingsman movies so um it was good to finally kind of check that off of the list of things to see so it just was one of those things i kind of missed it was i think it came out around the time when i wasn't going to movies as often uh, for a while, and so, yeah. Awesome. Well, let's uh, go film by film. We're going to break these into groups of two and talk about each film kind of individually and kind of comparing it to its like properties. So we start with Layer Cake in 2004. An unnamed drug dealer decides to quit while he's ahead, and he gets roped into doing one last job for his boss. This film stars Daniel Craig as the unnamed protagonist. He has 70 acting credits, which was much lower than I thought. Sienna Miller plays Tammy with 45 acting credits. Michael Gambone plays Eddie Temple with 172 credits. And my man, Venom, plays Clarky with 57 acting credits, also lower than I thought Tom Hardy would be. This film has a Metacritic rating of 73 with 24 positive reviews, 6 missed, six mixed and zero negatives a couple of critical comments generally speaking when i do these metacritic ratings it's going to be one from the positive one from the mixed and one from the negative when applicable of layer cake owen gleberman of entertainment weekly said fast convulsive and densely exciting new british gangster thriller 
Leslie Felperin from Variety. There's a proper lived-in believability about Layer Cake's depiction of how the worlds of the rich, the criminal, and the criminally rich intersect. Then Michael Atkinson from The Village Voice said, What's abundantly clear is how far this kind of movie making has come from any knowledge of real criminal life. It's a geek's ineffectual daydream of mayhem. <laughs> Was rather comically critical. So Layer Cake, I had never seen this film before. Casey, which of the characters in Layer Cake really stood out to you? Um, For me, it was the unnamed main character. Uh, they just call him XXXX in the credits, the Daniel Craig's character. I thought he was just fantastic. I'm, as Tom pointed out, I'm kind of a fan of Daniel Craig in, in general. But, um, I mean, this, I think, had to be the movie that set him up for the, the Bond role, I, I think. I agree with Casey that X is a very interesting character. One, you know, never finding out his name through the whole film is very fascinating. Um, the what the rules he lives by, you find out what they are, and then you see him go through this whole journey of everything that he followed to a T just crumbles before him, and you get to see his reactions throughout the film. And especially, I thought it was really well done when he killed. Jimmy and just the acting of Daniel Craig dealing with that um, part of the scene of the film. So, and to set that up just a little bit more, uh, he had a he had like a code of honor. He had code a set of, of honor, rules yeah. that he was following. He declares in the opening monologue of the film that he's a businessman who just happens to deal in cocaine. He's working to save X dollars. Then he's going to get out. And like he he has these rules that he tries to follow. And over the course of the film, he is forced to reevaluate that morality. Um, Phoenix, I know that you have thoughts on how Daniel Craig became Bond after this film. Uh, well, it is. I read somewhere that the scene of him with the little gun and he's holding it is someone saw that and said, oh, he is um, James Bond. I know you found out that Matthew Bond was supposed to direct it, too. So I don't know if that had a play in it. But that scene with him holding the gun for the first time in the movie is what a lot of people say that got him the role. So That's interesting. And Phoenix mentioned uh, a scene where he kills a prominent character. Bernsey, why don't you tell us why the Jimmy assassination scene was so well done in your opinion? So I think a lot of it kind of came down to the fact that you knew that the character didn't really have a lot of experience with doing that type of thing, seeing as how, you know, he ended up getting the gun off of, uh, you know, one of the other kind of bosses, I guess. I, I, I'm not trying to think of what the correct names of the hierarchies are, but basically someone that's on a similar level to him or is maybe between him and, like, the actual mob boss, um, and he got the gun from him. And so it's just this kind of, is he actually going to do this or not? Is he going to pull it off or not? And I think then when it gets to the point where, you know, the gun is pointed at, you know, the guy's head and it's just there for like an incredibly long amount of time. Uh, so you think he's going to back out and then it just happens. And then after that, it's kind of everything sort of spirals in different directions. Um, and so I think that's what makes it interesting. It wasn't just like, it didn't look like it was being done by a professional. It was, it was somebody trying to figure out, you know, how do I sneak in here and do this and not get caught? 
And I think they did the scene beautifully with him dealing with the aftermath at his apartment. Just, it is a hard thing to do because if you've never killed someone and you have to kill someone, it's just, you pull the trigger, it's instantaneous, but, you know, the aftermath. And I thought they did a brilliant job of him trying to deal with it, but then life moves on. He has to figure out what he's going to (laughs) do from this point on. Well, speaking of what he's going to do from that point on, Casey, why don't you tell us about the aftermath of this assassination scene and how that struck you? Yeah, I, uh, the, the scene <clears throat> shortly after the apartment when he has to confront his fellow henchmen and, and Gene really, like, I mean, he, he knows that, like, Obviously, the Jimmy was the one who did it because it was his gun that he stole, and you know, they found the casing and everything like that. And Gene just kicks the living crap out of him, and he doesn't really fight back a whole lot. He just takes it, and it's just like, holy crap! Like that—that that scene to me, I don't know, it just stood out as something um, in that movie that uh, they just stood out to me. I, I, I thought this scene was just done really well. It was brutal. It was interesting because it was one-sided. It was, and it's, um, you know, and this is halfway through the film. You see X, whole world crumbling, and it's just this is, you think this is like um, the pinnacle of what's going to happen, you know, but it just continues on. So it's just watching him and his brain thinking, how is he going to get out of the situation? And so, and as we find out later, things come together until the end. But it's one of those films that you watch and it's like, it's hitting the fan and it's like, okay, how is this going to work out in the end? And how is this character going to pull himself out of the situation, you know, that he's in? So and we'll get to the ending in just a little bit. Marbrenza, you also thought that Michael Gambon stood out in this film. What drew you to his performance? Uh, so I think it, it, it's, it was interesting because of how it was juxtaposed with the only kind of boss that you saw before that point, uh, which was Jimmy. Um, and then, you know, Michael Gambon is just this completely kind of different character and uh, with Eddie Temple. And um, I just like him in a lot of different things that I've seen him in anyway. So he's got sort of the gravitas of a really good actor. Um, but you see him in a slightly different mold than I think a lot of other things that I've seen him as as well. Uh, so I think that was what drew me to him uh, quite a bit. Uh, he just, once he's on the screen, he kind of owns it. And everybody's just sort of working around him. And that's, you know, that's a sign of, you know, when you have a really good actor, that's just what they do. And it, it doesn't even matter what they say. It just, you know, it has weight and you know that it matters and that it's going to be impactful to what's going on, you know. And he plays one of the main antagonists, one of the main criminal uh, overlords in the film. Casey, did you have a hard time picturing him in that, like, hardcore mob boss role? I did, because um, it took me forever to figure out who he was, because I'm just sitting there, I'm like, how do I know him? How do I know him? And all of a sudden, it just clicked. I'm like, he's Dumbledore. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. And after that, I just kept thinking, like, you know, I just could picturing him in his robe and, like, everything that he wears in the <laughs> Harry Potter movies, sitting at these tables in these situations. But it was really, yeah, really funny. And uh, he does play 
uh, in another movie. I God, what uh, what did I, I just watched it the other day. Dang it! Um, it's a western with Kevin Costner, and he plays kind of like this mob boss type character too in that one. So it it, it is he's really like balanced. Like like Joey said, he's he's really good in everything that he does. Um, so but yeah, it was just kind of funny once it finally clicked like who he was. I was like, oh my gosh, it's doubled over. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael is a heavy. He's uh, like Joey was saying. He's one of those actors when you see on the screen, oh, he'll own the screen. And I've known him from British television show back in the early '90s, but he's been around for so long, and he is just incredible on the screen. So it's always fun to see him pop up in films, and he's in Golden Circle too. Uh, he plays. He's in a brief scene with that as well. So can't picture it at all. Uh, he takes over Michael Caine's part. He's the leader uh... at the table. So, but so Matthew Vaughn and. Matthew Vaughn's able to bring Peter O'Toole, which is another big heavy in Stardust. So it's kind of fun to see him actually working with these big British actors in these films. And he's not that well known at this time. So it's fun to see that. So, so Layer Cake, Daniel Craig is trying to escape his life as essentially a middleman drug dealer. And he wants to just retire to an island somewhere. You know, that's what we all want to do. There's a big twist at the end of this film. And I just... Watching the film, I couldn't help but wonder, what is the point of Layer Cake? Bernsey, what is the point of Layer Cake? So, I, I mean, my understanding of what they were trying to go with, you know, and granted, this was based, I think it was based off of a book. So it's not like, you know, whoever wrote the movie was who came up with how it was probably going to end. Um, but my guess is that, you know, the whole idea was that no deed goes unpunished. And so, you know, even when you think that you've, you're going to get off scot-free and you've, you've, you've checked, you know, every box dotted, every I crossed every T there's always that one person, uh, that you forgot about. And, you know, it might not even be what you would even expect to be a bad thing that would happen. But, uh, but there you go. And that, (laughs) that happens anyway, but it does feel like a slap in the face to the audience a bit in my mind, just because, you're spending this entire movie learning about this character, seeing everything from his perspective and getting behind him. And so then you're like kind of hoping that he's going to get out of it at the end. And it seems like he does. And then, Oh, Nope. Yes, not. (laughs) (laughs) And so it does, it does kind of like jerk you back away from it. It's like, well, what was I doing? What was, why was I watching this this entire time? If you're just going to rip this away from me, um, but then again, I guess that was maybe them trying to say, well, real life stuff like this happens, you know, you know, just when you think you got out, they suck you back in kind of thing. So, and Phoenix, is it fair to say that you thought this movie was a timeless, flawless classic? Oh my gosh. <laughs> are we talking about the ending? Or We're we talking about the me? ending specifically. No, I had a hard time when I first watched this years ago when it first came out because my brother was like, you got to watch this. You got to watch this. And. I watched it with... And you're a huge Guy Ritchie fan. I'm like huge, you, yeah. As we discussed on that show, you love Snatch and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and hate Man from Uncle with a burning fiery passion. Oh my gosh. I'll never live this down. But... Um, hey, you married me. True. I <laughs> was expecting, you know, the depth and the richness that Guy Ritchie does bring to his films, the uh, circle, how everything comes together. And I think Joey put it perfectly it's like you watch this whole film um and it's just like 
Oh, okay. He died. Is that why everyone loves it? Because you don't expect it at the end? Is that the reason? You know? It, so... They never actually show him die. Oh, I mean, there's no head. It's George R. R. Martin. He's still alive. <laughs> he got shot. He got shot in the chest. And like, do most people probably die from that? Absolutely. Are we bringing our guy on this? Yeah. What if it's in the, like that two-inch thing, like right here, the cardiovascular tunnel thinger? <laughs> see, that's see, that's what it was. That was sort of all looping. That was the circle back to this movie. And that's oh yeah. What happened. He's fine. You know. There you go. He, he also got he also got shot on the right side of the chest. So unless his heart happens to be on that side, <laughs> he just got, got lunked. So. I mean, and you they could have gotten to the hospital quick enough. It's very possible that he's still out there. Uh, that's very well, true. And he, yeah, and he had Sienna Miller there, so of course, you know, she probably knew exactly what to do and try to, you know. Yeah, she just know, whipped her shirt them. off and like shoved it into the wound. <laughs> <laughs> because that was her role in this film. I thought, I thought maybe the point of this film was you can't escape your destiny, and like the whole film, Daniel Craig's character is set up so that he doesn't die working in the drug trade, and like he's got his set of rules and he follows them to a T. And then there's that big t- uh, twist at the end where he gets shot, and it's like, is the point of this film that you can't escape your destiny? Is that what the original author was trying to say? Be yeah, yeah. Tom gets movies. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Casey, you watch this film. It's the first time you had seen Layer Cake. What are your overall impressions of watching this film for the first time in 2024? I actually thought it was really good. I mean, it's we're going to talk about all of his movies, but I, I really, really liked it. Um, I. Don't know, you know, like in, in the hierarchy of everything. Like it's, it's up there for me. I think for, for me. Um, oh, the ranking section is going to be super fun for you, dude. <laughs> I know, especially after after seeing what you guys wrote about it in the next little bit here. But um, yeah, I was just really surprised that I had actually never seen it before. Uh, it's a genre of, of movie that I enjoy, and you know, having Daniel Craig and um, a young Tom Hardy in it, which was I, I love Tom Hardy too, and seeing both of them, their younger younger versions of themselves in, in this movie was was really fun, and I I enjoyed it. Birdsy, you uh, you on the Casey side of this discussion? No, I, I thought it was I thought it was fine. To me, sort of the thing I came up with is that it's a twenty year old movie that seemed like it was a thirty year old movie. Like <laughs> out of all of these movies, it looked so much older than all of the other ones. Um and yeah, like I've I've seen Snatch before and I'm pretty sure I've seen Lockstock, but I've seen some other like just sort of crime caper movies that came out before that or around this. And they're all just so much better than this. And more interesting and they really kind of you know suck you into what's going on with it and so i just think there's so many other movies before this and since this that have just been better at being crime dramas that uh i kind of feel like this gets lost in the shuffle from my perspective i'm not as elegant as burns i just didn't care for this film very much phoenix i was just gonna say joey got and took the words right out of my mouth i mean it to me, when I first saw it, and even watching it a second time, it was still flat, monotone, poor man's Guy Ritchie, but I agree with Joy, there's a lot better British crime films if we want to deal with just the British side of crime films. I mean, 
Bank Job is a great film, and um, in, I'm going to butcher it in Burgess with um, Colin Farrell. Ian Bruges, yeah. Ian Bruges. Yeah. It's just a fantastic film, too. So there's a lot better options that I would watch way over Lay Your Cake. So, but. Burns has brought up in Bruges on this podcast before. I can't remember yeah, what show, that. but you've talked about it. It's a yep. good, it's a great film. Yeah, so uh, Casey is 0 for 1 so far. <laughs> Next up, we're gonna break down Stardust. I, oh, go ahead, dude. <laughs> oh, I just like I. All your points are completely 100 percent valid, and I agree with them on everything. Basically, that Guy Ritchie has done is better than this movie. However, it can still be a good movie and still not live up to oh, yeah. Guy oh, Ritchie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's. I I thought it was enjoyable. Like I would give it like a seven out of ten, maybe six and a half out of ten, something like that. Which is still on the plus side, right? It's it's not like. You know, like epic, like oh my gosh, it, it's it's not snatch, it's not like any, it's it's, but it was fun, and I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I could see it being like a six six point five type of thing. Um, yeah, it's just if I was gonna sit down and watch a crime drama that I've seen before, at, there would be a lot of other ones that I would jump up to. Like the the one that kept coming to my mind is like Heat, um, and it's just like I haven't seen it in a long time, and like I've. Thinking about Layer Cake, I'm just like, I want to watch Heat again because that movie's phenomenal and uh, I haven't seen it in way too long. But uh, yeah, and I think there's just lots of other movies that would pop up before I would put Layer Cake back in. I mean, I understand, you know, Layer Cake has a very interesting story and and I understand that I bring Guy Ritchie in a lot, but I there's a lot more like Joey's talking about too. It's just, it would be way on the list. And when we were talking about doing Matthew Vaughn, it's like, I don't want to watch Larry cake again. I'm sorry. I don't want to watch it again. It's just, there's just so many other films that I guess I would agree. I would watch way over this. So but. yeah, well, I didn't like it. Next, <laughs> <laughs> next, we're going to talk about Stardust, which released in 2007. Based on a Neil Gaiman graphic novel, a young man tries to get a pretty blonde girl to swipe right by vowing to retrieve a fallen star. I'm pretty sure it was just a novel, not a graphic novel. Uh, it's considered a graphic novel with the company that uh, published it because uh, they did hire an artist to do the artwork per page. I have a copy here, but... Um, oh, really? Yeah, when we watched the extras of Stardust, they were talking about the graphic novel in ways, but... That's what I they... had just a novel version of it. Maybe it was a novelization that came out after the movie or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's, well, yeah. The extras just kept referring to it as a graphic novel. And the next time you come over, Burns, you bring your copy. <laughs> we'll bring our copy. We'll rub the tips together and we'll see what happens. Huh? I'll see if I can find it. <laughs> I know I had it at one point. This film stars Charlie Cox as Tristan Thorne. Sienna Miller returns as Victoria. Claire Danes plays Yvain. Ian McKellen is the narrator. Michelle Pfeiffer plays Lamia. Lamia. And Robert De Niro plays Captain Shakespeare. It's an A-plus cast. It's got a Metacritic rating of 66 with 27 positive ratings, 7 mixed, and 1 negative. Some of the critical comments about this film... Connie Ago from the Miami Herald says perhaps the most surprising thing about Stardust is that its most winning element is neither its delightful story nor its special effects, but its sly sense of humor. Sounds like me, right, honey? Huh? Huh? Not gonna answer. 
Come on, honey. William Arnold from the Seattle Post-Intelligencer said, Movie analysts are high in the film's box office and critical prospects, but it certainly struck me as a huge pile of nothing. Ponderously plotted. Poorly cast. Poorly cast. Visually undistinguished and devoid of any real verve or charm. That was a mixed review. Wesley Morris at the Boston Globe wrote, Stardust certainly could have gotten somewhere fun, but the magic and zip you need to get a blimp like this off the ground is scarce. Lots of vitriol. Yeah, well, let's start by talking about some of those big name actors. Huge cast. Charlie Cox was a relative unknown at this point, and uh, one of the things that Matthew Vaughn said about this film was because he had such a big budget cast, the studio was all right with him doing a lesser known actor for uh, the main character. So, Casey, out of all those primate or all of those characters, which actor's performance or which character really stood out to you uh it was de niro's character captain shakespeare that stood out to me i mean like in his hundreds of movies whatever the heck that he's done (laughs) um definitely not his best acting performance but i think the the character itself was super fun totally agree i mean de niro just he shocked me when i first watched this film i was like oh he's gonna be the bad pirate he's just gonna be you know throw him over and then the next thing you know it's like the cabin scene and he just totally changes it's like you don't expect that from him and i enjoy seeing de niro doing films that you don't expect like the intern i really enjoyed him in that the gentler side of him it's just it's nice to see him not be the macho man that he can be but someone else so it was a delight to see him play this type of role so captain shakespeare is great burns what was your take on the entire airship sequence with captain shakespeare and his crew they're catching lightning and the main character tristan hooks on with them for a while on a part of his journey how did the airship stuff strike you yeah i mean i just really enjoyed that whole aspect of the movie um it's interesting because that's it's like a montage to some extent, but there's other aspects to it and different scenes kind of around the montage. But uh, a lot of it is, you know, getting, you know, Tristan's character to get to the point where he needs to be in order to, you know, complete his destiny, I guess, if we want to use that term. And so, um, but I think it's just the different group of characters, the whole dynamic of, you know, trying to hide their identity, um, make this new identity for them, um, coupled with then Shakespeare's really interesting character <laughs> that you didn't really expect. Um, and, and then just sort of uh, the role that that plays in kind of setting up everything for like the end of the movie uh, or the end of the story, I think, I think is really cool and a lot of fun. And so that was some of that was my favorite parts of the movie was just sort of everything that happened around that, the montages, and then, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, them when they're in port and trying to uh, haggle with Ferdy and all that stuff. I just think a lot of that all was pretty great. I love Ferdy. Ricky Gervais plays Ferdy the Fence in this film, and he is just hilarious. He has, like, three minutes of screen time, and every minute is just beautifully done gold. He's just this quirky criminal dude he's got a great negotiation with captain shakespeare and just i love ferdy the fence and i'm glad that you brought him up (laughs) um let's talk about the main protagonist in this film charlie cox uh playing 
Tristan, Phoenix, this is a character that stood out to you. You really liked his journey in this film. I do. I mean, I his whole journey is that he believes he's in love with this woman, Victoria, and he promises her that he'll get the falling star that they saw. So then he goes on this journey of finding the star, trying to drag her back, because he thought it would be a lump of coal. It turns out to be a woman. And he has to convince her to go back with him to this other woman that he supposedly loves. And so his whole journey from the bumbling fool, which is a common theme in, you know, love stories and stuff, but it's just unique in the way they told it and him trying to figure out his way through and then find themselves on Captain Shakespeare's ship developing a little bit more, becoming more of a swordsman, being a little more confident, and them falling in love. So that whole, I don't want to say hero's journey per se, but just this whole journey of a man finding confidence in himself and the love of his life. And and then finding out he's actually a prince, and he had no aspiration to be a prince, but he ends up being the prince and the king of this kingdom so let's jump into our alternate reality machine for a little while let's say that when i was courting you honey that uh, i decided that the best way to woo you was to chain a blonde chick to my wrist and drag her no. <laughs> home how do you think that would have gone over not well no <laughs> not at all do you think it would have deterred the witcher from pursuing you <laughs> henry um i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm glad things worked out how they did. Bernsey, yes. you like seeing Henry Cavill in a slightly heel role in this film? Yeah, and it's not like he's in it a whole lot, but uh, it was just interesting to see him kind of way before any t- other time I think I'd seen him in anything. Um, and yeah, he's kind of just this kind of rich, pompous jerk who's courting the gal that uh, Tristan loves and... Uh, and that becomes sort of a bit of this kind of butting heads between the two of them. And, you know, when they first have sort of meet and, and, and kind of go head to head, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's, you know, an easy win for Henry Cavill. But then, you know, when Tristan gets back after his whole journey and learning how to sword fight and all that stuff, it's like no contest. But then at that point he doesn't care about winning the contest either, which probably makes it hurt even more for, uh, for Henry Cavill and his ego. <laughs> and that's one of my favorite scenes is when he goes back to Victoria on her birthday to give her the star and Henry Humphrey shows up and just the body language. I think it was well done because they didn't have to cross swords. Humphrey knew immediately by the body language of Tristan that, Oh, I can't take him on. And I thought that was a cool little, um, thing that Matthew did instead of having them actually fight swords that Humphrey could just read oh I can't take him I'm out of my depth here yes so I thought that scene kind of sticks out with me because it's very it's little but I think it's well done to show you know the development of this character so on Tristan's journey he faces several adversaries one that I was particularly fond of was Michelle Pfeiffer as Lamia she plays a witch. She is trying to capture this fallen star and cut her heart out so that she can consume it and have everlasting youth or extended youth. And I just thought that Michelle Pfeiffer was a phenomenal witch in this film. She was. And I, when I first saw it, I just, I knew Michelle Pfeiffer. I've seen it in other films, but it was just 
a delight to see her in this film playing an old lady and she plays it so well the movement and everything with her body just and then when she becomes beautiful the scene her checking herself out in the mirror and then as she ages again and she uses her magic to try to fix her boobs and they sag even more (laughs) i just thought michelle was just a wonderful choice and she did it beautifully in the whole film her from her whole transition from old to young to old again is just outstanding i thought so yeah let me pivot to casey on this one casey (laughs) you have the opportunity for eternal youth if you're willing to cut out a human being's heart and eat it would you do it uh hard no (laughs) well if you can regenerate like one part of your appearance your body like where would you focus like would you be like michelle pfeiffer and really be oriented on your chest and just like get these awesome like dwayne johnson pecs or what because that looked great on you, dude. Honestly, I I don't think I've given it that much thought, Tom. I, I can't honestly say which part of a human being I would eat to stay forever young. What What if it's not a human being though, but it's just a star personified as a human being, and that human being is Gwyneth Paltrow, who I think this was her last likable, like the last time that Gwyneth Paltrow was likable, and then after that, I think she just kind of turned into like this sort of punching bag for everybody and she went crazy about her I don't know what does she even call it green poop or I don't know what it's called but she goop maybe is that what it is yeah she's got her she pedals scented candle business uh but it was actually Claire Danes in this film not Gwyneth Paltrow was it yeah oh wow I'm an idiot (laughs) (laughs) so uh Bernsey would cut out someone's heart and Regenerate his brain. Got it. So much more likable. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I have to look that up. Now, just to make sure, but that's funny. Yeah. Um, well, gosh, I was going to pivot to you on the next point, but uh, you could pivot to me on Claire Danes. <laughs> oh yeah, you hate Claire Danes with a burning, fiery passion. Why do you hate Claire Danes? Evane was either. a delight in this film. She was wonderful. I, I love her character. I love her character but Claire Danes I guess I see Claire Danes in every film she does I should watch Homeland which I haven't seen but any other film I've seen her in is generally Claire Danes being Claire Danes and it's hard for me to look past that so. are you saying it should have been Gal Gadot cast as Evane Gal Gadot <laughs> no. or Gwyneth Paltrow apparently. <laughs> <laughs> she was good in Romeo and Juliet I did like her in Romeo and Juliet but after that, I the other films I've seen her in, I just what's that Mod Squad one and other things, you know? I just I literally haven't seen anything that you're talking about. <laughs> so I mean, I I thought she was adorable in Romeo and Juliet, but beyond that, I guess I just anything I saw her in, I just never really glommed onto her as an actress. I really want to follow her career and watch a lot of her films i guess i should say yeah and while we're speaking of shakespeare hey casey you remember in taming of the shrew when you tried to bang me (laughs) sure did thanks gary hirsch (laughs) (laughs) Uh, one more standout character to talk about before we talk about some of the moments that grabbed us in this film but bernsey there is another antagonist in this film that you liked it was a brother vying for a throne what grabbed you about the uh Septimus and his brethren. So yeah, and it wasn't just Septimus, but it was the whole like construction of the fact that there's these dead brothers that are ghosts 
and then the rest of the ones that are still living are trying to vie for their father's throne. And then as each one of them dies, they join the ghosts that are kind of following the other brothers as they're trying to become king. And I just thought that that was a really fun way to kind of have this peanut gallery that was just reacting to the things that were going on throughout. And I just thought that that was really neat. And they're always like there in ghost form as to how they died. So the one that died in the bathtub is just like really awkward and weird. And, and so, yeah, I, I love that whole mechanic all the way through. I just have to say a second. I wanted to write down about the brothers, but I didn't think we'd get to it. But I'm glad Joey brought it up. I love the mechanic of the brothers. I love how they show how they died. Rupert Everett, I was really into his movies when I saw Stardust. So it was fun to see him part of this role. So so I'm just seconding what Joey is saying about the brothers and the mechanic throughout the film. So Yeah, it was an awesome bit. And having Mark Strong in that role, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed Mark Strong in all of these films. He's, yeah. he's awesome. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Evane. I thought that it was really interesting. Her commentary, like she's... She's a star that falls to Earth, and she's personified as a woman. And so Tristan goes, and he needs to bring this woman star thinger back to Wu, the woman that he's in love with. And so he chains her up and starts dragging her through the countryside. And this Yvain is willing-ish to go along with it, but she has a running commentary. And as a person who has to comment on everything around him at all times, that character really grabbed me. And I just loved all the snarky stuff that she said about Victoria when she pointed out all of the ridiculous things that Tristan was supposedly doing for love, like kidnapping another woman and bringing her as a trophy. I just thought that all of the Evane stuff was really fun. I agree. I mean, I've when I first watched the film, I really loved the twist of Evane, the star, and her talking about watching Earth up above and watching the love stories, the wars, and how she couldn't watch Earth because of all the violence and everything, but she just loved watching the love, the love and the compassion and everything that we have. So I thought that was a very unique storyline to this story. So I thought it was very well done and that's why I like the character but the actress yeah yeah should have been Gal Gadot we covered that yeah <laughs> Casey how do you feel about love and compassion in the human race uh, uh it's fantastic great best makes color guy in the industry cut, right there yeah yeah no you know it makes me want to cut cut their hearts out and eat it and become immortal <laughs> oh sounds awesome there are a lot of standout <laughs> moments in this film we talked about captain shakespeare coming out and dancing that is one thing that really stood out with casey was there anything else you want to cover on that scene casey or can i keep moving on oh we can check along yeah um i loved evane there was a moment with evane where Tristan had gone back to confront Victoria and basically say, you know, I'm not into you anymore. And he had to do it on her birthday and he had to humiliate Humphrey as a part of it. And Evane wakes up all alone, which I'm sure is a great feeling. She's like, oh, well, he just ran out of me. Great. And so she's just tromping along through the woods and she's going to turn into a lump of rock. And so Tristan is like, oh, God, I got to go save her. And he goes running after her. And Lamia comes rolling up in a carriage trying to capture her. And, like, everyone's running to capture Evade before she can step over this threshold and turn into a chunk, chunk of rock. And I just thought that was really interesting. It was, I thought it was paced really well. And it was one of the moments that stood out to me in this film. I agree. Yeah, pretty yeah, good. No, I, I, 
I thought climax. that scene was like 10 seconds too long. Because <laughs> it's just like, okay, we got Charlie Cox running again. <laughs> oh, and we got the mom on the, on the carriage again. And then, oh, there's just... Well, that Claire Danes apparently not going to fall through trundling <laughs> along, you know, and then, oh, Charlie Cox running again. It's just like, okay, we get the idea of what's going on here. We don't need to, you know, we don't need to sit on it like, for way too long. But, but yeah, otherwise I did, I, I enjoyed the whole, like, everything coming together at that point. Uh, and then it the film resolves with this climax between Tristan and Lamia, and Septimus shows up. Phoenix, what element of that scene did you really enjoy? Um, I think this is a movie that I really saw Mark Strong in anything that I can recall strongly, but, um, I thought he was great as the villain brother trying to, and the scene of him and Tristan meeting with the knives, the neck and the stomach, but the scene that sticks to me the most is that whole voodoo doll scene. It's just, how did they film it? How did Mark Strong, you know, try to move his body around? And... I think they filmed it very realistically on how a vo- someone would manipulate a human body as a voodoo doll. And so I think the filming, the effects and everything was really well done in that scene. And it stands out in my head because I can't think of another film where they do something like this, you know, mm-hmm. that's unique to this film. So, Do you think you sing in Country Roads as it happened? Well, that's another unique scene with Mark Strong. I mean, he is an interesting actor, and we'll talk about him more in his other films, but I just, he is someone to watch because he does very interesting characters, or I don't know if he's very meticulous on what he chooses, but he is a good actor, and he is good in whatever he does. Yeah, well, and I think, like, the, the action of that scene, too, um it like starts to show kind of what we start to see in like Matthew Vaughn's movies, especially once you get to like Kingsman where it's like a really interesting way to do the action, like with the sword fighting in that scene too. Um, And, and I, I don't know, I think that was, you know, just the creativity shown throughout that scene. Um, and with the action and the, the combat that was going on, uh, I think, is kind of a precursor to what we see in a lot of the other movies down the line. And I think it's a great when he dies because he drowns, you know, the scene of him because she throws the voodoo doll in the water and he's risen up and he's drowning. And that whole effects was well done too. But it is funny when the brothers look at him, the ghost brothers, and his body starts moving like, what are you doing? How are you doing that? it's a funny scene and I thought it was well done mm-hmm. too with the brothers and him yeah the ghost brothers were really good Casey this was the first time you'd seen this film why do you think it never appeared on your radar prior to doing this show yeah so it was uh, 2007 when this movie came out and I kind of like got to thinking I'm like huh well my <laughs> first kid was born in 2006 my second kid was born in 2007 so I had two kids under two years old I also opened up my chiropractic practice so, yeah, I was a little bit busy in that in 2007 when that came out. So, I don't remember hearing anything about this movie. Um this is the the very first time this film was ever on my radar. Um but I'm glad I got the chance to watch it. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, remember that time when you opened your chiropractic clinic and I stopped by to uh check it out and you had literally painted FU Tom on your wall? <laughs> sure do. That was awesome. 
Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, that was prior to me having an iPhone, so I don't have that picture anymore, but I will literally never forget that as long as we both live, my friend. <laughs> but, and I think oh, what's most interesting what's most interesting about like the cast of Stardust is that in hindsight, it's e- an even bigger cast, like bigger name cast than it was at the time. Like with, you know, Charlie Cox going on to do Daredevil things and Henry Cavill turning into doing a lot of the things that he did. And then like Mark Strong doing a lot more in like the Matthew Vaughn movies. Like there's a lot of actors that were had a good name coming into this. But then there's a lot of actors that built pretty strong careers after this movie as well. Uh, so it's super interesting to look at it kind of as sort of the meeting of those two things um, coming into Stardust. So, Burns, you were a little lower on Layer Cake. Where did Stardust come in for you? Yeah, I enjoyed Stardust a lot. Like, I, I, uh, you know, I didn't come into any of the movies expecting, other than the ones I'd already seen, like, with any real expectations. But, uh, I don't know. It was one of those things where I was kind of along for the ride the entire time and uh, really enjoyed kind of how it all sort of built up came together uh and uh yeah i really liked stardust i enjoyed it a lot casey yeah i just thought it was a lot of fun seeing a lot of these stars play different roles than they typically play you know um seeing De Niro in that role and michelle pfeiffer as a witch and um claire danes being claire danes evidently uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um and not I know amazing amazing uh, uh, even Mark Strong like you know he was in this role compared to the type of character that he played in Kingsman movies was completely different so um, it was just really neat seeing them all in those different unique roles um, when I first saw Stardust and I think I saw it in the theaters um it grabbed me right away. It's one of those fantasy type fairy tale, being a woman, you love the fairy tale love stories and stuff. And I thought it was well done and well put together. The actors were great. The storyline was fantastic. It brought some complexity about the star being a woman and them falling in love and the whole true love story in the sense. And he didn't have to cut out her heart. He had to just hold love her heart you know love each other and she he held her heart and they lived forever and they became stars and that was such a unique storyline and I thought it was fantastic when I first watched it I've watched it a few times since then I still love the film I mean I feel like it's on par with Princess Bride nostalgia will always have Princess Bride top but I feel like it has sort of that fantasy storyline the true love storyline that everyone loves in Princess Bride that Stardust carries too so Honey you're amazing and I love you now imagine that we are granted immortality (laughs) how many years do you think it would take for me to finally get on your nerves like a thousand ten thousand like what's our shelf life if we're stars before like I have to start wandering somewhere (laughs) I think it will take a very, 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 very long time. So Yeah, that that feels like a hundred years to me, honey. No, I think one billion trillion fall in a black hole, swoop out on the other side, another trillion years, swoop in another black hole, another trillion years. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, you've gotten pretty good at my poking, honey. 
<laughs> so thinking about these two films, Casey, how did Layer Cake set the tone for Vaughn's directorial style? That was it's strange because I'd seen almost all of his other movies before. Um and you know, they all definitely have a style, but you know, if you played Layer Cake to me and asked me who directed it, I would have guessed Guy Ritchie. And it's interesting because I didn't know that Guy Ritchie was originally supposed to direct it, and that's that's what you said, right? <laughs> Earlier. <laughs> so knowing that now and like seeing that, like I, I get it. But, you know, like I don't think that movie actually does set a tone for what his style has really evolved to today. Like they're they're very different. Um, I would say that Lair Cake and Stardust are giving him his chops for directing and allowing him to figure out how he really wants to be as a director. I think we will start to see later in his films what he truly wants to do in films and his style in films. And we did catch in one of the specials, I can't remember if it was Golden Circle, where he said that... He has to have Jane Goldman be with him when he's writing scripts. The two of them write scripts together because she holds him in. He says, if I ever can direct a film that I fully write, no one would watch it because it would just be way out there, way overboard. And so it, I think Larry Cake and Stardust, again, has just allowed him to expand his wings and figure out where which direction he wants to go in his directing. So... Yeah, I watched the movies in chronological order um, uh, for for the episode, and uh, you know, in hindsight, going back through, then uh, it, I mean, it, other than just sort of him getting his feet wet and figuring out, you know, what it is to direct, um, I don't know. It, it doesn't really seem like either of these two movies have a lot of correlations to the things that came after them. Uh, it's it's interesting because you know layer cake was kind of you know hitting at the time when the guy Ritchie stuff was really blowing up and so it made sense for that to be coming out at that time and then stardust seems like your typical family kind of blockbustery movie you know i don't know if it did that well at the box office but you know it's the type of thing that can appeal to parents as well as kids um you know, but I think a lot of his other movies after that probably don't care as much about any of that stuff. Uh, so it was maybe just a way to do a type of film um, as he built up his sort of abilities to be able to make the films he wanted to make. Yeah, so to put it into startup terms, he was basically bootstrapping. He was raising some funds so that he could work on the projects that he wanted to work on. Well, Bernsey, thematically, these movies couldn't be further apart. Which plot drew you in more, the gritty crime drama or the fantasy epic? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was Stardust 100%. I get what they were doing with Layer Cake, but as we talked about, there's just so many other crime movies that I much more gravitate towards. Um, you know, some might say that it's because Daniel Craig isn't a good actor. I don't agree with that. Uh, but uh, Hey, he was great you know, in just... Tomb Raider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you just see him get you know a knife thrown in his chest over and over and over again um but yeah it, it's um it, it the only thing it was to me was it was a reminder of like the infatuation that everybody had with sienna miller 
back in the mid 2000s yeah. and how she was like the hottest woman in the world um and you know she definitely was portrayed as that in both of these movies yeah well, i mean yeah she is a well put together woman but like i had no consciousness of her i like Catherine heigl i recall gal gadot i recall like there are female actors who are popular in certain genres that oh, always stick with me. But Sienna Miller, like, we watched Layer Cake. I'm like, who is that? And you're like, I she was huge. Believe, I couldn't believe you hadn't seen or heard of her because there's the whole thing with Jude Law at that time. And she was in the TV show Eddie Keene, which I really enjoy that show. But Never uh, saw it. It's a great little show. It was canceled. but I'm familiar with Jude Law. Does that count? <laughs> but no, she was getting big at this time. And um, I don't know what happened. I don't know what her latest film is. But yeah, she was on trajectory to get to be something big. And then something happened. But I was wondering, um, with Stardust, do you think Stardust was done because of the whole fantasy genre that was coming out because of Lord of the Rings? Oh, I'm sure that played a role. Like, there were, there's always been fantasy films, but Lord of the Rings reset what was possible. And Lord of the Rings brought nerd culture to the forefront and showed that it could be not only extremely financially uh, well performing but also critically acclaimed with uh, The Return of the King well, I'm just wondering if like Stardust would have been made without Lord of the Rings per se with the big cast you know right well and interestingly enough um, I was looking because I was trying to find the answer as to why I had a book that wasn't graphic novel it was just a novel and apparently they did publish both of them that way but when Neil Gaiman decided to write it he uh decided to write it instead of in his normal kind of prose type of style to write it in more of a Tolkien-esque style. And so there's still that, there's that connection there too, I think. Um, And it's probably not a surprise that that's, that it came out when it did. Um, Maybe a little bit more surprised that Vaughn was the one that was pegged to direct it. Yeah. Um, You know, since he'd only had the one movie and it was very different from this, but uh um, I, th- I still think he did a he did a pretty good job with it. Oh yeah, no, he, he did. You know, so yeah. Give me the fantasy epic, Casey. I think they were both good, um, but for me, Layer Cake was definitely more my cup of tea. Sure, uh, you know me, Stardust all the way. Yep, Stardust for the win. I recently ended up having a dinner with Mark Zuckerberg and, um, you know, we talked a little bit about business and sort of his plans for the future and trying to make the world a better place. And so I signed up, you know, with his group and sort of what he is trying to push forward for the betterment of mankind. But part of the process was to get this microchip implanted in the side of my neck and for some reason my neck has just not been the same since sometimes to the point where it feels like my head is just going to explode uh any idea where i can get some assistance for that pain oh you know it burns you need to check out premier health they have solutions for back pain neck pain car accidents and implant related nuisances and more we suggesting dr camille in golden valley minnesota Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN, as in Minnesota.com. The next phase of Vaughn's career involved capes. His third film was based on the independent comic Kick-Ass, followed by a Fox blockbuster, X-Men First Class. 
Kick-Ass released in 2010. Dave ponders why no one puts on a mask and fights crime, so he buys a wetsuit and gets his ass kicked. He gets wrapped up with some vigilantes, including a foul-mouthed five-year-old, and has to take down a coke dealer. This film stars Aaron Taylor Johnson as Dave Lazuski. He has 51 acting credits, including Shanghai Nights, The Illusionist, The Wall, and The King's Man, and Bullet Train. Nicholas Cage plays Damon McReady, or Big Daddy. He has 120 acting credits. Chloe Grace Moritz plays Hit Girl or Mindy McCready. She has 74 acting credits, including Carrie, Let Me In, The Fifth Wave, and one episode of My Name is Earl. My man Christopher Mintz-Platz plays Chris D'Amico with 58 acting credits, including Superbad, Role Models, and The Great Indoors. And Mark Strong... McLovin. Mark Strong plays Frank D'Amico with 125 acting credits. We'll be talking about him consistently throughout this entire show. Kick-Ass has a Metacritic rating of 66, with 27 positive, 7 mixed, and 4 negative reviews. Some of the critical feedback included Chris Hewitt at Empire, who wrote, Kick-Ass is a ridiculously entertaining, perfectly paced, ultraviolet cinematic rush that kicks the places other movies struggle to reach. Joe Morgenstern at the Wall Street Journal wrote, Grungely stylish and often funny, at least for a while, though all of the caveats and contradictions that apply to Tarantino films apply here. One man's or boy's stylization is another's profane, unrelenting, and tedious brutality. And Peter Rainier at the Christian Science Monitor wrote, Critics who come out against kick-ass are leaving themselves open to the worst of contemporary accusations. A failure to be cool. But pretending that Kick-Ass is just another good-time comic book blowout is the greater failure. It makes sense coming from the Christian Science Monitor, I guess, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought this was fun. Burnsy, which of the characters stood out to you in Kick-Ass? Watching this for the first time? Or you had seen this film before and this was a refresher for you? Yeah, I'd seen this movie. I, I'm pretty sure I went to it in the theater when it came out, and uh, I I know I've seen it a couple of times since then. So this is probably the movie I've seen the most out of all of these. And um, yeah, I mean, this was like Nicolas Cage in his like prime Nicolas Caginess is the so hilariously over the top. It's good but bad performance as Big Daddy. Uh, you know he. <laughs> when he just gets off onto some of the weird things that he's saying, like in his last moments, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is so bad, but I can't stop watching. <laughs> and I kind of love it. I don't get why. Yeah, it's like House um, of the Dead. Yeah, so it's, um, I don't know. That's like the biggest kind of standout to me uh, watching it again at this point. And Casey, who stood out to you in this cast? Oh, it's Hit Girl, man. Chloe Grace Brent's just, she was fantastic in this movie. Like, as a 12-year-old pulling off some of the stuff that she did, it was, it's absolutely incredible. Well, you have a 12-year-old. Like, uh, this is a mirror of real life, right? <laughs> I honestly can't believe it. Like, yeah, Gavin is a fairly athletic child, and for her, like, I don't know if she had like gymnast training or any sort of martial arts background going into this, but the stunts and things that like, I don't know if they have 12 year old stunt doubles. I, I don't know, but like the choreography and the things that she had to do for this movie with the, for the weapons and guns and like just everything. Like it, she, 
she nailed it as a 12 year old which is just super impressive super impressive Even and terrifying right mild mildly and mildly inappropriate <laughs> but super impressive <laughs> well speaking of mildly inappropriate does gavin speak like uh hit girl <laughs> uh no 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 he does not and uh you know even chloe even said in interviews after this movie that she would never speak that way in front of her parents or in real life either and she realized that it was just for for a role because this movie did get a lot of criticism because of all that so um but no i don't think any 12 year old should talk like hit girl <laughs> well burns what do you think of uh, casey's parenting style here well i mean yeah congrats to casey for being a better role model for your kids than nicholas cage was so way to go <laughs> <laughs> Well, Phoenix, once again, you're drawn to the main protagonist, Dave, and his journey in this film. What stood out to you about the main character and his journey to become a superhero? Well, it's just, again, a teenager, say, um, who thinks, like, okay, he asks the question, why can't anyone be a superhero? You can go out and try to do it. And I just love him putting the suit out on and going out on the street and just walking around trying to be what he thinks a superhero is and finding the cat him walking around trying to find the cat and then once he starts hitting the reality once you get into the the drug dealer's apartment you know and hit girl shows up and seeing the violence and then he tries to back away but then he gets captured and him with big daddy in the chairs and just the horror on his face realizing that nothing is innocent all the time and he has dove deep into this world not realizing that oh crap there's violence you know he walked away from the one scene where he got beat up and he doesn't feel a lot of things and stuff because of his nerve endings but he didn't realize that he could fall in the worst situation ever you know being tied to a chair and just about to be blown up with the gas and everything from the fire that was being pouring being pouring on him so i thought it was very unique him wanting to be like spider-man but didn't have the superhero powers but he wanted to be like batman but he didn't have the money so it was just an interesting idea can you truly be a superhero without money, without super, uh, superpowers. So I thought the journey was well done. I thought his wide eyes, in a sense, to seeing the violence, to helping hit girl at the end was well done. And his journey was well put together. So, Well, and that's just, it's such a clever idea. Like this guy is so ill-equipped and so bad at what he does and he gets beaten up so bad that he just can't feel pain anymore yeah. after that really and so it's just kind of funny that yeah being a bad superhero kind of gave you superhero powers true so, yeah that i don't is know true. i always thought that was super clever about this movie one of the things that i appreciate in this film is like somebody captures cell phone footage of kick-ass getting his kicked guy i'm gonna love editing the show and mark strong is the main antagonist in this film and he sees that on the news and he's like this dude's gonna get himself freaking killed and like he is the bad guy and he's like he sees how this is most likely to play out and i thought that it was just a really self-aware moment within the film i just i thought it was yeah. really interesting that uh, the antagonist saw the protagonist is like that dude's gonna get himself killed 
And I thought it was very interesting in the one scene with Mark Strong where everyone wants to be like Kick-Ass, you know, and so Mark Strong sees Kick-Ass on the street and he gets out and beats and shoots him and kills this person without checking, is this, you know, truly Kick-Ass, you know. So I thought that was also a kind of interesting side little, I don't know what you would call it, but like this can happen if you try to in ways be a superhero if people try to copy you you never know what's going to happen so yeah you never know what the consequences are going to be consequences yeah what i thought was interesting with this film is i watched it for the first time roughly 10 years ago and i hated it like my impression of kick-ass was that it sucked and i'm like oh uh i was not looking forward to going back to it now it's like oh this film is awesome and it's like oh uh maybe i do have terrible taste in films like (laughs) I'm glad that I have to sit and think critically about this because this film was wonderful. Phoenix, there was a romantic. What was it about it? What was it about it that that like you remember why you hated it, or what was it that just rubbed you the wrong way the last time? I don't remember specifically. It might have been that I watched it during the baseball season when I was exhausted and uh, I had to split it over several nights. I don't remember. I didn't remember any of the specifics other than Christopher Minton's Platz was in it, and uh, just I had the impression that I hated the film with a burning, fiery passion. And rewatching, I'm like, oh, this is a very Tom movie. <laughs> you, you were wrong. <laughs> well, Phoenix, there's a romantic relationship in this film. Dave is a girlfriend. They bang like in an alleyway. Like, what do you think of the romantic arc in this film? It was silly. It was stupid in ways, but I mean, it's it had its nice little humor through the film, and it was great. You There's know? the dramatic scene where she's like watching the news. Like that was intense, right? It like, was intense. It really pulled on our heartstrings. But I just I didn't like her character, but um, but it's a great little scene. She thinks he's gay, and he has to put um, yeah. lotion on her, and that whole scene is a great little humor scene. So that was fun. Um, film that uh, scene that they did so but but i wouldn't recommend it as a romantic film so. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first yes not a romantic film and not good parenting advice either. yes and so not we good were, parenting advice <laughs> but i do want to bad parenting role models yeah i just want a second uh casey and joey because even though i love dave's journey and the actor who plays him you know Aaron, I agree. Nicholas Cage is perfect in this role because he's Nicholas Cage in this film. And then Hit Girl. I mean, she's such a unique character. It's like, where are you going to run into a character like this? You know, except for maybe in comic books or something. But I just had to second Casey and Joy as far as the characters. They're standout characters and they're well done, but I do have to ask the question, why did they make him look like Batman? Because I know he isn't in the comic books, but it's just, it's a film decision or what was that, you know? Maybe it was just so they could do the Batman jokes when they're interrogating the one guy? Yeah, I don't know. I never thought it was Batman and like everyone's saying that he saw Batman. Yeah, so, but it's just an interesting choice because if you see the comics, he's in a red suit with a red kind of weird mask and stuff. So it was an interesting choice on their part to make Big Daddy look like Batman instead of what he looks like in the comic books. And I think uh, I think I saw in one of the special features that the, they were developed in tandem, the comic and the film. The comic came out a little bit beforehand, but Matthew Vaughn somehow got 
I somehow heard about the comic and read it and was, you know, so again, like, um, uh, Kingsman, same thing happened. Somehow he's able to find these comics before they're fully published to read them and then he wants to turn them into movies. So, so it yeah. seems tandem, but it's not quite. And maybe, maybe he had to make his aesthetic choices for the film before things were said in the comic. Sure. Like, I don't know. Or maybe it was just to do a funny Batman joke. Yeah. I think also it could just come down to it's so much easier to make something black look better on screen than like red look better because I don't know. It's just when you have like brighter colors, they just stand out and look more goofy probably. Um, so I'm guessing that was probably a lot of it also. That's true too. I mean, I and know- the red mist also had dibs on red. Yeah, I guess with Daredevil, he's not completely red-red in the show. I, so it could be a, red as a hard color to have on film because I think it's more of a darker, grayer red color they use for his suit. But Yeah, yeah it's a very dark red. So to summarize, Kick-Ass is a pretty goofy superhero film. It's got some heart. It's got some violence. It's got some intense language. If you uh, if you can't stand foul language, maybe this isn't the film for you. But I think I can speak for us all and say that we all really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. And- I mean, like when this came out, it was like end of college time frame. And so it was kind of like the perfect time to have this type of adolescent movie <laughs> i guess the lack of a better way to put it <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, i think this is when oh go ahead phoenix sorry yeah i just it, it's a well-done film it's makes you think a little bit about comic books the friendship between um kick kick-ass dave and his friends are great in the film but Matthew Vaughn does an interesting part with um, the backstory of Big Daddy, making it look like a comic book, which I thought was well done. And then the big, the fight scene with Hit Girl, um, it looked like a video game scene. So it was kind of fun to see Matthew Vaughn sort of try to figure out his style and trying to incorporate in, in this film. So, and also it's yeah, just exactly. like at the same. Oh, sorry, Casey. At, at this oh, time, like, this the... was when all the MCU stuff was coming out too. And so just starting to get kicked off. So that was also kind of a little bit of a response to that. Yeah, no, I was basically just going to piggyback on what Phoenix said. And that's she brought up the same point that I was going to make is that it, this is, I think, when we really start to see what Matthew Vaughn does best, right? It's like that these choreographed, amazing action scenes in his movies. And this is, I think, Kick-Ass was the first time he really got to shine. It was, and it's a well-done, kind of uh, curious film that he did, but when you find out it's based on a comic book, it's like, okay, you can sort of see where he's getting his ideas from, and, you know, the next film he does with X-Men, you know, it's quite a bit different from this film, so we'll be talking about that next, but it's just... You can see more of his style in Kick-Ass versus maybe more X-Men, which will be the next film we will talk about. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. X-Men First Class releases in 2011. First Class shows the beginning of the X-Men saga. Professor X and Magneto meet and start gathering mutants. They disagree on how to handle a fellow mutant intent on destroying mankind. This film stars Charles McAvoy as Professor Xavier, 
or as Charles Xavier, Michael Fassbender as Eric, uh, oh, goodness, I should have written down his name before he was Magneto. Jennifer Lawrence plays... Lenshear. Lenshear, thank you, Eric Lenshear. Jennifer Lawrence plays Raven. Ben Francham plays Peter. He has 38 acting credits. Corey Gonzalez-Macur plays Nick with 22 acting credits. And Stu Rutherford plays Stu with... Oh my god, that is a... Those are Hank... That's a holdover from uh, What We Do in the Shadows. What? I started reading the cast for What We Do in the Shadows because I definitely didn't use the uh, Taika Waititi <laughs> notes as a starting point. Uh, so we yeah, have so McAvoy, <laughs> Fassbender, and, and Lawrence. This, yeah. yeah, and and nobody else. This is this is going to be the greatest uh, show. Oh, honey, you just took away my show notes. I needed those. I needed them right where they were. But so, X-Men, first class, sorry. I just had a quick question for Joey, but I... Um, you mentioned Joey is big into comic books and, and specifically the X-Men X-Men Larry uh, Tom's brother he saw first class and he had huge huge nerd rage with this film he hated it he couldn't watch it he hasn't gone back to watch it because of the nerd rage that he had for this film because it just rewrote the whole beginning of the X-Men you know because he loved the comics i guess from your standpoint how did you feel um with the film when you first saw it so here's here's the rub you have to look at the totality of the x-men movies coming out um x-men 3 i can't remember what the like subtitle of it was the last stand Um, brian singer yeah that was um because x-men 1 and x-men 2 were both pretty good Brian Singer directed those, and then he directed X Men Three. And Casey it was disagrees. An utter, it was an utter and complete like garbage fire of a movie. It took, and basically all of the characters that they built up, and you know, for you to enjoy, um, and like the characters from the comic books, and it basically took a big steaming dump on them, and kind of ruined the two movies before it with just. How like outlandish and terrible and just dumb the story. Yeah. So then you get to first class, and I agree with Larry in that it sucks that they didn't go with a little bit more original uh, X Men starting class. Um, I understand. I think why they went with the ones that they did. Some of which like are super like lesser known. <clears throat> Um, you know, and I think a lot of it was probably to have, you know, not just a bunch of, you know, white kids being the X-Men, um, but to find, to try to have a little bit more diversity within it. Um, so I understand that, but then, you know, they kill off one and have the other one join the bad guys. And so then it's just like, okay, well, all we got left are the white kids. So <laughs> sure. I guess that kind of worked. I probably not, but. Uh, I don't know. I would have liked them to have the more normal ones. Uh, Days of Future Past does a better job of kind of re-including some of those more traditional X-Men characters uh, into the series. Um, but so if X-Men 3 hadn't happened before that, this might have been it might have been more of a frustration for me. But my nerd rage subsided because it wasn't nearly as bad as what X-Men 3 was. And so nowhere close to as bad as X-Men 3 was. Okay. So, Casey, what made this film for you? Um, I really liked the acting performances of James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender. And their characters 
and how they portrayed Professor X and Magneto, I thought was just fantastic. And to put it simply, they were both awesome. Is there really anything that truly stood out in this film from a character perspective beyond those two? There are lots of people that were fine. The class, like there wasn't anything that I disliked about the cast of First Class, but those two really stole the, stole the show. Brinzi, you love Jennifer um, Lawrence. You're like you're wearing a Jennifer Lawrence T-shirt right now. <laughs> <laughs> How was her portrayal as Raven? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with Casey. Like James McAvoy as Charles Xavier, and you know Michael Fassbender as Eric Lanshear, then Magneto. Um, I mean, it, it does a really good job of setting up this sort of frenemy kind of situation between them, and how they both have very similar ideals. But they're different because their background is different enough. That is why their approach moving forward is going to be different and why they're going to have to be at odds. Um, aside from that, yeah, there isn't a lot that you get out of a lot of the other uh, characters. Uh, the guy who plays Beast, I think, or Hank, Hank McCoy does a pretty good job with that. But yeah, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, she, like, you know, I've seen Silver Linings Playbook. She does a great job in that. She's been in a lot of other movies where she's done a pretty good job. This is by far one of her worst acting like roles that I've seen her in uh, ever. Because, you know, you've got this, you've got Charles Xavier, and she's roughly the same age as him, supposedly, right? Yeah. Um, but then she's just sitting around all the kids, all the students, and she's just as dumbstruck as them with everything that's going on and it's just you know maybe it's not her maybe it was how they wrote the role of raven slash mystique but uh yeah it was it's a little unfortunate that you know even in the scenes where she uh is supposed to be a little bit more like personable and emotional um like even that just doesn't quite land um really either so that was always kind of one of the weakest points of of this movie to me was just sort of the portrayal of Mystique and and her performance overall as in that role. But Phoenix, you love the romance triangle, right? With Mystique and Xavier and Lenchier. Like that was the highlight of the film for you, right? No, I was throwing popcorn at the screen every time she came on. I was just I don't know. I thought the whole storyline was weak with Mystique and Jennifer Lawrence. Um I haven't seen a lot of films of hers, so I feel like it was how they wrote the story. I just don't think they utilized Mystique's character as well as they should have. And I just also was confused about her relationship with Xavier because in Days of Future Past, he's like, the love of my life is gone. It's like, well, I thought she was a sister. So I just, you know, I that whole storyline I thought was pretty weak in the movie. So I thought you loved it. <laughs> we talked about it like after, after the movie. It was, Casey, your thought on... Every X-Men movie that has ever come out and X-Men First Class's place in that pantheon. Yeah, Joey kind of touched on it. It's that they, it, they started out, I think he thinks, I well, not thinks, but like one, one and two were just okay for me, but three, like you said, was absolute garbage. And I think, in my opinion, I think this was actually the best X-Men movie that's that's been made. Days of Future Past is is good, but like I think it's, Maybe just slightly below this one for me. Um, if you don't count Logan, I think Logan is 
amazing. But um, it really, like, I think this film just kind of revitalized that franchise where there's still some bad movies after this, don't get me wrong, but I think that they really owe a lot to Matthew Vaughn for how he created this and portrayed that. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, they did kind of repeat some mistakes later on. But yeah, and they brought in Sophie Turner, which is a death knell for any <laughs> franchise. Sansa. Uh, but Brinzi, before your say, point, I just wanted to poke at one thing. Uh, Logan, I I hated Logan. I hated Logan with a burning, fiery passion. Uh, I think Phoenix is in the same boat as me. What made Logan such an interesting film for you guys and for America? I don't know just finally getting to see that darkness that is wolverine and like seeing his actual character portrayed in a way that it is supposed to be not some kind of like can't be over the top whatever that he's been in so many of these other movies um i don't know like it, it just felt like like i don't know like finally you know like this is what we wanted in all these other movies this is how we need to see his character like truly in some of this other these films so actually seeing seeing that and having finality and having i don't know i i, I just thought it was in a, a really well made well acted well like just like i don't know every, everything just felt like it came together really well for me i yeah. i, I Oh, I was gonna say, I think I think that's what uh, that I think that's why a lot of people sort of gravitated to it was that it was. So I think it was the first rated R, or was that one not even R? Was that PG thirteen still? I, it was close anyway, but it was like a gritty, violent story which fits kind of Wolverine, and so I think that's a lot of what it was. Plus, also I think it tapped into the fact that it had you know these characters that had been in all of these movies now, you know, of both professor Xavier and, um, Wolverine, uh, Logan, you know, um, and kind of getting the culmination of all of that, um, with that film, I think, uh, helped to, you know, helped, helped to kind of elevate it above a lot of things. And since it was just focused on the one character and the one kind of storyline, it doesn't run into the trap that a lot of these, you know, team superhero movies run into where it's like, oh, okay, well, we got to give these few minutes to this character and these few minutes to this character. But no, it can just be this character's chance to sort of be the driver of it. And if you don't like that character, you're probably not going to be along for the ride. But if you do like that character, you're probably going to gravitate to it and really enjoy it and really get into it and be emotionally attached to it. I love Wolverine, but I hated that film. It uh, towed the line with horror film for me, and it just didn't strike the right chord with me. Um, I can see people's point with Logan, because, you know, you don't see Wolverine at his primal beast mode, and I can see people fall in love with the film for that. The cornfield, the farmhouse got a little too much like a mini-movie horror film for me, but it was mostly the storyline. Okay, where does this end in the timeline? Nothing was clear for me. I thought there's a lot of holes in the storyline, so that's what really bugged me because I'm watching this film like, okay, I need some kind of more backstory to this for me to enjoy it. So, but 
Yeah. So that was our discussion on Logan, which we're not actually breaking down in this podcast, but I hated the film and I wanted to poke at those thoughts a little bit. Coming back to X-Men First Class, you have um, Charles Xavier and Eric Lachang, uh working together to stop this big bad who's also a mutant. Um, Xavier wants to save mankind. Lachang wants to kill the mutant. And uh, it's interesting that beyond those two actors we don't have a lot to say about this film like i think we all enjoyed it but those two really carried this film what i thought was interesting in x-men first class was it's the first time that i noticed matthew vaughn's pacing was phenomenal like it was beat to beat to beat to beat it was uh, a very fast moving film but then they took a moment to breathe with a chess scene that's just uh the two main characters that we both that we all adore sitting on like the steps of the washington monument i think it was playing chess talking about their philosophy and how like what the future is going to hold for mutant kind and i thought this was just such a phenomenally paced movie and i think this is where matthew vaughn really started to churn out a quality product yeah i agree i mean uh, the pacing you can really see his storytelling the pacing the intricate little scenes that he puts through the film but again i have to say those two characters are what are the fascinating part of the whole story and those friend that friendship that develops sort of and then breaks apart and the last scene with not really the last scene but Xavier trying to work with Magneto through the plane and he's in his mind and that whole sequence stands out to me and then once Magneto gets that helmet and puts it on and Xavier just screaming at him I thought it's a great, well done, well acted between the two of them, and it's just culminates what happened to these two characters that you see later in the films. And but I agree, Matthew Vaughn really flexes his muscles with his pacing, his storyline, and directing with actors in this film. So, so oddly, this is probably. Other than Layer Cake, the movie with the least amount of acting or action in it, action, yeah, um, of all of of all of his movies, which is which is you know surprising since it's a superhero movie and those usually are like constantly about action scene and then a little bit of dialogue to get to the next action scene, um, you know, plot twist, action scene, uh, and and there really isn't that much action in it, and I think a lot of the reason why like the first class falls behind is that you don't see most of them actually do any real fighting um, in, in the majority of the movie, if any of the movie. And that's the other thing that's just kind of, I think a little weird. It's like the adults are fighting and these guys don't actually, there's no actual like teaching them how to <laughs> be, be like mutants. And you know, there's some bits here and there of them trying to hone their powers um, but it's not actually like how the X-Men usually are, where it's like, we're going to train you for hours and hours and hours on end so that when you go out for the two hours, you're able to like do everything with efficiency. And so that's the one thing that I think is oddly lacking in, in this movie for what it is. And that's what I, I was kind of transitioning was from Kick-Ass, the sort of, him failing his way on his stylized uh, fighting sequence, action sequence he likes to direct, and then all of a sudden, bam, you get first class where there is 
not that much action like Joey was talking about. There's not a lot of fight scenes. There's just not that stylized that you expect from his films. And I don't know if it was just something he wanted to try without throwing in a lot of his stylized fight action scenes in this film or what. Or I wonder if Fox killed a lot of it. Uh, who, who knows what ended up on the editing floor, but yeah. Yeah, and it, and it could be it was just this is what they wanted to do to try to set up the franchise that they you know the idea for the franchise that they had where it's like we're gonna have these movies and each one's in a different uh decade right um i think the problem with that is that's what ended up causing them problems like casey was kind of saying before is that you jump this decade later well most of these people probably aren't going to be superheroes this decade later or you know they're not going to be the same so you got like these new people here and then oh we jumped another 10 years so now it's like these new x-men and there's still a few of them around but some of them aren't and and then we jump another decade and it's just so there there was like this lack of cohesion throughout all of the movies that i think caused issues and you know and granted i think brian singer was like the creative mind behind at least the first two movies if not into the third movie as well um, which is why I was a little surprised that Vaughn directed it as opposed to Singer, even though he was a producer um, on this movie and then directed Days of Future Past, um, probably because of how X-Men 3 was uh, was received. And maybe he was busy with another movie at the time, too. I'm not sure. Maybe that was when he was in the middle of one of the scandals. That could be true, too. I'm not sure. But um, but yeah, I don't know. It was It's an interesting movie. It is an interesting movie. One thing that disappointed me... Um, I love Rose Byrne. I think she's phenomenal, and I, um, I mean, I mainly picture her in Neighbors, which, you know, another <laughs> Tom and movie. Uh, but I thought that she was wasted in this film as Moira McTaggart because she didn't really do much aside from like stripping down and jumping into a line of other attractive women in their underwear. It's like uh, I know I'm not as much of an X Men buff as say Burns is, but I know that Moira is important and that she has a relationship with Xavier, and she didn't, she just didn't do much in this film other than say hey mutants are good yeah no i mean that was <laughs> it was i don't know and, and granted they're not gonna have her like meet the x-men because in the way that she does in the comics originally because that just doesn't make sense with this because you know banshee's not a 40 year old guy that's a rich person that owns like a mansion and and then oh yeah his maid is moira mctaggart you know and oh she knows about genetics and blah 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 uh, so, you know, it's not going to actually work that way. Uh, the CIA angle, I think, is an interesting angle, but then there's not even a lot that happens with that either. She doesn't get a chance to do anything with that. Just like most of the actors, they don't really do anything with, like, the supposed powers that they have. And so, um, yeah, that's another interesting aspect of it, I think, too. But, but yeah, other than that's why that's why it ends up being Fassbender and McAvoy and people just kind of gloss over everything else in this movie. But at least those two are awesome. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Overall, another pretty good film, right? Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Well, we're going to move on to Tom Awesome's top five. It's time now for... Tom Awesome's top five countdown. Five, four, three, two, one... 
For my top five today, I'm going to rank the top five characters in Matthew Vaughn films. There are eight feature films here, and somehow I managed to not put all of the characters from my favorite film uh, into the top five, which took some thinking. But number five, my number five favorite character across all of Matthew Vaughn's feature films is Hit Girl from Kick-Ass. We talked about her already. She's uh, she's an awesome fighter. She is a young child, and she's extremely foul-mouthed. It's, like, it's a great combination. Number four, Valentine, the main antagonist in Kingsman, The Secret Service, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, played by Samuel L. Jackson. I love Valentine, A, because he was very, very quirky. He, uh, you know, he has a, an important meal with a potential donor who's a spy, and he serves McDonald's. And it's just one weird thing after another. He's this mega villain that can't stand the sight of blood, and... He comes from a very relatable place. He's extremely concerned about uh, overpopulation on Earth. And so he uh, comes up with a rather interesting way of dealing with overpopulation. I just thought, I thought Valentine was an awesome villain. And he's a character that I just loved. And every time I watch Kingsman, I'm like, man, mm-hmm. Valentine is great. Yeah, no. I Vaughn does create some very interesting villains from his head when he does his original work so i agree valentine is really unique approach yeah the way i like to head the way i like to head candidate is samuel l jackson as nick fury saw what thanos did and he's like oh that's a good idea now i'm valentine and i want to do the same thing i love it oh god fury got the gauntlet so number five hit girl number four valentine number three my man, Magneto. Uh, Michael Fassbender as Eric Lynchine in X-Men First Class. He carried that film. Like McAvoy and Fassbender, it's a toss-up between them, but I have always had a predilection for Magneto as an awesome villain, and so he makes my list at number three. Number two, from The Kingsman, Rasputin. Uh, I can't remember the actor's name. Riz Ifrens? I can't, friends. I, I can't pronounce the name very well. Yeah, I looked at it on paper. I'm like, oh, gosh, I should try to avoid saying that on microphone. <laughs> um, I phonetically put it down. It's uh, it's actually Ivans, but it's I-F-A-N-S, but you pronounce it with a V instead. So it's Reese Evans. Reese Evans as Rasputin in The King's Man. He plays one of the villains in that film. There's kind of a cabal, a bunch of uh, bad guys working together, and he is just crazy in the film he is so over the top and he's got this amazing fighting dancing sequence and uh it just it's a really remarkable character he's the only type of actor who could probably portray that role without it being too quirky in one direction and not working well in the other direction I could not believe who that actually was when I looked it up because I really enjoyed his character and I was going to talk about it and when we actually talk about that movie and like when I found out who it was I'm like you have got to be kidding me because like one of the first movies I don't know if you guys have seen it is um, it's also my frame of reference uh, for him I love that you put this in the notes yeah the the the, the chain smoking kicker from the replacements and I'm like what in the world this is the same guy so yeah it's 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 totally awesome well, it, it, uh, it's Notting Hill for like me him, as well as... <laughs> him seeing him for the first time on film is Notting Hill yeah I haven't seen it <laughs> <laughs> R- romantic comedy Tom yeah romantic comedy so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah great Oh, some would say Rasputin, probably one of the only good things in the King's Man. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, my list, number five, Hit Girl, number four, Valentine, number three, Magneto, number two, Rasputin. My honorable mention, uh, Harry and Merlin from the Kingsmen films. Like, I love Colin Firth and I love uh, Mark Strong. They were both awesome in the Kingsman films that they were in. Evane, the star from Stardust. Argyle and Sam Rockwell, whose character's name I could not remember and I couldn't be troubled to look at IMDb while I was working on this particular section of the notes. Uh, both from Argyle. And Poppy, the uh, main antagonist in Kingsman Golden Circle, played by uh, <laughs> Julianne Moore. And Burns hates that with a burning, fiery passion. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Awesome. Can't wait. It's because you uh, can't stand the thought of eating another human being. Like, how do you feel about Casey, like, ripping everyone's heart out for eternal youth? (laughs) Yeah, Casey definitely would eat the burger, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, he would. He'd put a little Worcestershire sauce on that. Um, And my number one character across all of Matthew Vaughn's films, eight feature films, my number one character is Eggsy from The Kingsman. I I love the Kingsman film, and we are going to spend way too much time talking about it a little bit later, but what I think stands out about Eggsy amongst all of Matthew Vaughn's characters, he's a main protagonist, and he has a really remarkable arc. He's just a, he's a kid from the streets, he's really rough around the edges, to put it gently, and like the way he grows across the original Kingsman film, The Secret Service, uh, I just, I love that film because he, of where he starts and where he ends up on it. I think it's just... He's an awesome character, and I can't wait to dive into the Kingsman more. Any umbrage or feedback on my list from the group? No, I think it's good. Yeah, I think that I, that works. I, I, I'd have hit, yeah, I'd have hit girl a little bit higher, but overall, <laughs> good list. Yeah, all right, well, great, pretty good, pretty good. <laughs> now we're gonna move on to. The next segment, which is Spy Flicks. Vaughn's last chunk of films are all spy films with Kingsman, The Secret Service, Kingsman, The Golden Circle, The King's Man, and Argyle. Kingsman, The Secret Service, released in 2014. Hoodlum Eggsy is recruited to be a part of a secret spy organization and is forced to save the world. This film stars Taron Edgerton as Eggsy with 31 acting credits, including Rocket Man, Eddie the Eagle, and Sing. Colin Firth as Harry Hart and Galahad, with 92 acting credits, including A Single Man, The King's Speech, and Bridget Jones' Diary. And Samuel L. Jackson as Valentine, with 206 acting credits, including every film ever made. (laughs) This film has a Metacritic rating of 60, with 31 positive reviews, 13 mixed, and 6 negative. Scott Kalura at IGN wrote, Kingsman, The Secret Service is a spy movie made by James Bond devotees who know the genre so well that they can have a good time with it while also paying it respect and taking it someplace new entirely. Tom Huddleston at Time Out London wrote Never Less Than Slick, precision-tooled multiplex entertainment. Kingsman hews close to the formula Vaughn and his co-writer Jane Goldman established in their superficially similar kick-ass. Hyperspeed action, pithy one-liners, and grotesque ultraviolence. Chris Cabin at Slant Magazine wrote, It's structured in familiar, safe terms, plays for very low stakes, and appeals to no one so much as white male teenagers with chips on their shoulders. So I talked a little bit about the main protagonist, Eggsy, during uh, the top five tonight. Did the main protagonist carry this film, or are we, well, not all united, because I think that Eggsy carries the film, 
But was there another character that you guys think really carried this film, starting with Casey? I think Colin Firth did a fantastic job, and especially since you know, like I feel like prior to this movie, he played characters mostly in romantic comedies, so it was kind of something completely different than something that he's um, done before. Um, and I think he was totally believable in the role. And like honestly, after watching it, I think he would have made a good Bond, maybe like right around the time that Pierce was Bond. I could have seen him in, in that role instead of Pierce Brosnan. Before we get into how effectively he carried the action sequences that his role as Galahad required, Phoenix, what was your background with Colin Firth like? Oh, I agree with Casey. I mean, my jaw dropped when I saw Colin Firth actually doing action sequence and close-up action sequence, and it was so realistic, and he was so good at them. My begins with Colin Firth as romantic comedies. He is... Mr. Darcy to anyone who's a true believer of Pride and Prejudice because he did the British um, TV movie way back in the day. But a lot of people reference Bridget Jones' Diary and different movies like that that he's done. So I was shocked and I love that he did this role and that he pulled it out just being this you know top agent who knew his stuff and was an unbelievable fighter. So Burns you on the first train too? Yeah, I, I enjoyed him a lot in this movie. My headcanon is that uh, when he filmed Love Actually with Liam Neeson, uh, he got uh, some pointers from him about, you know, being somebody that doesn't maybe look like he could be in action movies being in action movies. And so <laughs> that is sort of what I've come up with in my head anyway for it. He's really remarkable. His character is essentially Eggsy's guide in this film. He's already in the Secret Service. He knew Eggsy's father, and he recruited Eggsy to basically try out to be in the Secret Service. He sets the tone early on with a remarkable fight scene, and he never really... I don't think they ever dropped Galahad's intensity through the entire film. No, I don't believe they did. That leads us into one of our standout moments towards the climax. Um, Galahad is in a church in Kentucky and just goes berserk. Casey, what made that scene stand out for you? I mean, my jaw I think literally hit the floor the first time I watched that that scene the, the, the sheer chaos of it first of all but I just think the camera work and the choreography and everything it, it was just a masterpiece it is essentially a brutal brawl in a church with 40 to 60 people various weapons uh, a lot of people dying in very uh, stylistic Matthew Vaughn type ways Phoenix you love action films and you love hand-to-hand -hand combat is this the highlight of Matthew Vaughn for you of his entire catalog of films was the church scene your favorite action fighting scene I you know, yeah, I guess thinking about it, it has to be the highlight of any of his action scenes he has done because not only the stunt work, but also Colin Firth, the close-ups of him doing the fight, but again, the camera work, like Casey was talking about, a lot of it seemed like seamless one-shot all most of the time, so the choreography, the timing, everything was just perfectly on cue. And it's something I haven't really seen in a lot of films, and so I think it stands out. It really stands out, I think. so. It felt like a technical masterpiece, that scene in particular. Um, Galahad is out of control. He's being essentially mind-controlled or manipulated in this scene, and he winds up killing a bunch of people. Burnsy, 
what kind of a moral conundrum does that make for you when a character crosses a line? Yeah, so that's like the interesting thing about it. And I'll agree that from like a visual standpoint and just technically how it's all put together, it's, you know, extremely well done. And, you know, there's other points in this movie and some of the other Kingsman movies where it's like the CG really shows its seams, I guess. But in this, it, it, it didn't a lot. And yeah, just the sheer amount of improvised weapons uh, causing as much carnage as Galahad can, can do with it um, is pretty crazy. And it's over the top. It's definitely over the top. And so like that's where it ends up becoming a weird issue in my mind is at a certain point, um, like how much is too much? like from a character perspective. And so you have this kind of view of Galahad and you know, because of what he does that he's able to accomplish a lot. And you see him in the fight scene in the beginning of the movie where he, you know, takes on the punks that are badgering Eggsy and then they call him a couple of names. And, you know, the thing that they call back to a couple of times where matters maketh man kind of thing, um, you know, which is interesting. But then in this scene where he's just brutally killing all of these people, um, and granted, even though he's not completely in his own mental faculties, like, does, can you really look at Galahad as a character the same way after that? Like, that's like my question. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, cause you know what he's completely capable of, um, you know, and granted, it's not like he completely had control, but. Even then, we still saw what he was capable of, and does that kind of put a black stain on who he is as a character? Well, I think it's really interesting because it shows the potency of Valentine's weapon. Like, Galahad is very much the straight man in this film. Like, he is the paragon. Like, he is the good guy fighting to protect everybody, and he gets corrupted, and, like, he just turns into this murder machine. Uh, It didn't taint my view of Galahad so much as it made me just really admire valentine and how clever his plan was um yeah i was gonna say the same thing about valentine's um machine that how well it worked but you know when i first saw the scene i did sit a little uncomfortable like oh my gosh but again with his military background and stuff and i it brings me back to the point like joey's bringing up about the characters i didn't really bring it up with kick-ass i it was a little bit unbelievable for me to have the main character Dave strap on that thing and just mow down all these people because he's never murdered anyone so to me that really wasn't dealt with very clearly because he went from this innocent guy and then all of a sudden he's just murdering people and didn't really bat an eye at it so but I guess with you know Colin first character Galahad or Harry you know because of his military background it was a little bit more believable for me so yeah I just think kind of back that up too is that for me it didn't really change how I viewed him at all because like even Valentine was surprised by how effective his <laughs> his his machine was right like he's like how effective is it you know that scene where they're like oh it's 100% everybody is affected by this right and then like just seeing how it interacted with other people too like Eggsy's mom you know is not the type of person that would murder her child yeah <laughs> right so just just because Galahad has the the tools and you know the 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 implant affects you know or the the noise from the phone makes the, 
affects them the way that it does or affects everybody to you know just bring out that that carnal rage in, in everybody and he just has the uh this military background and training that makes it even more bad <laughs> but yeah I, it didn't it didn't uh it didn't really change my my views of him at all yeah, and I, I still think, like, the difference with, like, the kick-ass example in, in the jetpack, uh, like, the difference with that is that in that scene, you know, Dave is gunning down a bunch of mobsters, right? So these are people that are morally gray at best, probably bad guys. Um, and here, you know, granted, you know, this church that that he was going to uh, wasn't painted in the best of light and it's meant to represent kind of the scum of the earth in, in a lot of instances, but they're still like just normal people that can't compete on the level that uh, he does. And, and this is kind of like the, uh, uh, you know, sort of, you know, you throw one superpowered person in a room with 150 not superpowered people and is a superpowered person going to win? Um, and so you know, the answer is, yeah, the superpowered person won, I guess, or the person with extreme skills won. Um, but I think still there's just like that little bit that you you look at Harry differently after that, I feel like. Um, and I think that 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 makes it, I don't know, that just creates a little bit of an issue, I think, um, to an extent. And, you know, maybe if the gore and just complete violence if it wasn't focused on so clearly in that scene particularly um i think maybe it doesn't have as much of an impact because if you look at then um the end of the movie with eggsy basically gunning down like 200 some soldiers <laughs> in, in valentine's base uh you know you don't feel the same thing because it's not like you have somebody's <laughs> head chev shoved through the frickin' pole of a flag, um, and, and, you know, just all these other, like, really, like, brutal kind of deaths, a lot of it's just sort of quick-paced action, shoot someone a little bit of blood splatters out of wherever they got shot, um, you know, maybe there's a few other kind of crazier deaths that happen along with that, but most of it's just shooting people really quickly and then bouncing to the next and bouncing to the next, and I think how close the camera was in there it makes it affecting for sure, um, but I think just how affecting it was does a little bit taint at least the the valor um, and purity of Galahad. Yeah, I I see where Joey's coming from, and I think that's probably Matthew Vaughn's whole point of that scene is to make us uncomfortable and make us start seeing how. Uh, Valentine is such a genius with what he can come up with and I think I'm, I'm thinking Matthew Vaughn wanted us to be uncomfortable in that scene because we see Harry as this and not quite enlightened but this guy who's trying to be a mentor to this kid and so I think he did an excellent job to try to make it the way he did and I think um, it does make some people uncomfortable so I think he meant to do it in that way i think so yeah, it was a powerful scene uh, samuel l jackson played the main antagonist valentine burns are you a big samuel l jackson guy in general yeah i mean i've enjoyed him in most of the things that i've seen him like i can't think of anything where it's like 
oh, that was just a bad Samuel L. Jackson performance. Like, even freaking Snakes on a Plane, like, he knew what the point of the movie was, and he just, like, rolled with it to perfection. So, yeah, I mean, I pretty much like Samuel L. Jackson and anything that he's been in. But in this, you know, in particular, um, I think because he's such a likable actor, you have that connection to then this villain. And... I think it helps make it a little bit easier to make you almost understand and feel for the villain. I know I like earlier likened him to Thanos a little bit, you know, because his plan is kind of the same, but that was a lot of what people were saying, um, you know, in when infinity war was going on in the Marvel cinematic universe also was that, you know, Thanos is too likable and, and he, you know, you almost, you almost want Thanos to succeed. Um, I don't. I think they do a good job in this of making it, getting you to the point where, yeah, Valentine can't succeed, and so you know that Eggsy and company need to be able to prevail over him in some way, shape, or form. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's fantastic in this, as well as his like, henchwoman, who I didn't recognize. I mean, I recognized her like I knew I'd seen her somewhere before. Um, the only thing that I could really connect her to that I recognized was like the new rebel moon the new Zack snyder netflix show that uh our movie that has been kind of widely regarded as pretty crappy <laughs> uh, i haven't seen it yet i would like to see it though i'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes but uh but yeah I, I really like those two as like the main villains and you know he definitely wasn't a fighter and she was the fighter that he needed her to be um, the fight scene that she has with Exeter at the end too is, I think, pretty cool. Agreed. Any other thoughts on the villains before I close this down with the protagonist? No, I mean, just again, Joy's correct. I mean, and you are about Valentine. He, you know, a lot of villains can be two D. He made it more three D or four D. He just put a lot of written, richness into the character and backstory and everything. So that was kind of fun to see a villain that was a little bit more. Have a little more depth to it. So. Well, speaking of depth and a rich story, Eggsy, the main protagonist in this film, is essentially a hooligan at the start of the film and a super f spy by the end of it. He has a tremendous arc, and a lot of this film focuses on Harry or Galahad guiding him and his time training and testing to try to become a Kingsman. And I think what makes this movie so magical for me is just all of the growth that he has in this film, because he is very rough around the edges at the start. Casey, what's your standout moment with Eggsy? I really like the parachute scene. Um, it's a it's a great scene to begin with, but then the the end of it where well, let's set it up just a little bit. Like all of the potential recruits have to jump out of a plane, and when they're in midair, they learn that one of their chutes doesn't work and so they have to adjust on the fly and try to land in a certain uh small target area or they're going to be kicked out of the program yeah and exy just kind of takes over and, and has the, the plan that gets everybody through it um even after one of his the other um trainees or, or recruits messes it all up and, and deploys early but uh at the end um you know it's down to uh him and uh roxy Roxy, yeah, um, and you know they're the only ones that end up landing. Well, I think one other person lands in the circle, but either way, so they they land, they get done, they're all standing there. Merlin's kind of going through everything, and um, you know, Eggsy is is pissed at Merlin and, and says, you know, like, 
you know, why me? Why did you have to, you know, why was I the one who didn't get the shoot? And, and Merlin's like, you know, no, 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 you don't get to talk to me like that. You have something bad to say. You come over here and you whisper it into my ear. And he walks up to him. And it's Merlin basically what says, I say to our children. You, you, yeah, you, you need to take that chip off your shoulder and pulls that ripcord and the parachute deploys and pulls Eggsy out of that. And I think from that moment on is when Eggsy kind of realizes, like, well, I guess maybe not because he didn't realize, you know, even with the dog that it was still a test mm-hmm. and they really weren't, like, there to hurt you but they're just there to push your limits but that that whole scene for me is just a, it's a really memorable part of the, the movie when i think about it it's a great scene and what is your overall impression of the film i really like the film uh it's it's one of those where i've said this on a few more things where if i'm scrolling through channels and kingsman is on for some reason i just have to stop and watch it like it, it's it's um it's captivating, it's fun, and it, it's just something that I've, you know, I've enjoyed watching over and over again, and it, it you know, continues to hold up. Yeah, and this and is the I first think, time I... Oh, go ahead, sorry. I oh, no, I, I think, too, like, it's, it's, you know, it's a spy movie at heart, but I feel like it's a lot different than traditional spy movies. Like, it's a lot different than a Bond movie, and I think Eggsy mm-hmm. himself has a lot to do with that. Like, his rugged background and that big character arc, he's just just such a likable character and it just brings a lot more flavor to this versus a typical you know james bond um you know uh or an identity even kind of spy movie yeah i I, this is the first time i'd seen it um you know and it's not like i was avoiding the movie or anything like that um but i enjoyed it quite a bit also um i do think it was it was nice to see a little bit like of an original take on like a spy movie, um, you know, probably one of the more original takes on a spy movie since like, <laughs> and this is maybe not a good a good call, but like spies like us, <laughs> the comedy and in, in like the late '80s, <laughs> early '90s, um, you know, where, <laughs> but maybe that's a bad call, but <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I, I think uh, you know he definitely you know as we've talked about with. Uh, Vaughn throughout all these movies so far. This is kind of where he took like what was in Kick-Ass especially and really cemented like this is what like a Matthew Vaughn movie is with these over-the-top action scenes with, that you're like really close into. Um, you know, for better or for worse, sometimes the CG pops out a little bit at you um, and you're like, ooh, that's that's CG for sure. Um, but other times uh, it, it looks really cool and it um, I think overall the movie in general uh, doesn't have a lot of negatives to it, um, and it has lots of positives. I think that kind of just keep it going, and it's from a pacing, it it just you kind of like get going at the start, and it kind of keeps picking up, picking up, picking up, picking up, and it's it's a ride that you just don't really want to stop until you get to the end. So, uh, I love it. I love the film. I love the originality about it. I love it that it's a spy film, but with some depth to it and some richness with the characters. It's one of those films when I walked out of the theater, it's just, hell yeah, I just saw a really good film. So, you know, I still love watching it. It was fun to watch it again for this, and it's one of his best ones. So, Yeah, agreed. And the climax is something that has always stuck with me with the colored smoke in that particular sequence. And yes. uh, it's, it's an awesome film. 
So Kingsman, the Secret Service, was followed up with Kingsman, the Golden Circle, in 2017. In the Golden Circle, the Kingsmen are obliterated, except for the three most important ones. The world is held hostage by a drug dealer, and it's up to Eggsy and Oberyn Martell to save the day. He <laughs> didn't say Red Viper, he said... <laughs> nope. Uh, let's see, this film stars Taron Edgerton, Colin Firth, and Mark Strong all once again. It adds Julianne Moore as Poppy, the main antagonist. She has 103 acting credits, Far From Heaven, Boogie Nights, Still Alive, and The Kids Are Alright. Uh, Edward Holcroft plays Charlie. He has just 15 acting credits, including The Undeclared War, The English Grace, and Alias Grace. And Pedro Pascal uh, as Whiskey, with 69 acting credits, including Wish Guy and Wonder Woman 84, <laughs> The Last of Us, The Mandalorian, and Game of Thrones. This film has a Metacritic rating of 44, with 13 positive, 20 mixed, and 11 negative reviews. Dan Jolin of Empire wrote, As ultra-violent as the first film, and as ultra-smutty. The Golden Circle will leave the Kings fans grinning, even if its characters have less growing to do this time around. Matt Matum at Total Film writes, Fun, fleeting entertainment if you're after more of the same, but fails to carve out any fresh ground. Michael Phillips at the Chicago Tribune writes, Kingsman, the Golden Circle offers everything. Several board Oscar winners, two scenes featuring Death by Meat Grinder, Elton John mugging and close-up, everything except a good time. <laughs> um, so, Casey, which of these, uh, which one of the characters delivered the standout performance in the Golden Circle? Well, I mean, it was still Eggsy and, and, uh, Merlin to be, but we already talked about them a whole lot in, in the first in the Secret Service. So the other standout performance to me in this film was Elton John, and <laughs> mostly because it's again like so out of character. I just loved seeing him get pissy with the guards and tell them to f off, and then like when they're like, you know, finally there, and he's like, "Is it a rescue mission?" And there's and he's like, "Well, it could be," you know, and he, he starts singing, "Wednesday, Wednesday." <laughs> <laughs> It's like, is this supposed to be Saturday? And he's like, what day is it? You know, and he's like, <laughs> so, I don't know. I just thought it was really funny. And then, like, you know, when he got involved in the bowling alley scene and just smashing the dog with the bowling ball, like, I don't know. It, it was just fun seeing Elton come out of his shell even more than Elton can do and, and I don't know, have fun in an, in an action movie, you know? It's well, just, just so out of what his normal character you would think would be casey thought that elton john was the standout <laughs> aspect of the film bernsey <laughs> did you love it as much as our uh, friend dr c i mean i thought it was great i just think they went back to the well a little bit too much with it um you know it kind of got to the point where it's like okay this is another hey we got elton john to agree to do this uh we're gonna throw him into this scene and we're gonna have him doing this and a couple of times it's just like so I mean, I get the point of it, like, when he's just sitting outside as, like, the one kind of criminal is running away from the robot dogs and gets bit, and then they come back, and it's like, friend. Like, I don't know. It just, it, it's like, hey, we got Elton John to agree to do this, so we're going to put him in as many scenes as we possibly can and just wedge him in there. And so it seemed like it was a little bit over the top, though I will say, like, one of the best bits in the movie was the callback to the ending of... Uh, the Secret Service, where Eggsy uh, rescues the, uh, was she, the Princess of Sweden, I believe it is. And, uh, and she says, uh, basically, if he saves the world, that, that she would get to do butt stuff. 
And then, so Elton John with, you know, spoilers, Galahad, uh, basically tells him if he saves the world, he'll give him a backstage pass, which I just thought was just hilarious way to kind of call back to the ending there with uh, a different character. Um, I thought that was really funny. I thought that was an exceptional joke as well. I noticed that you were less thrilled than I was with them bringing that princess back as a more central character in this film. She was a throwaway character for a joke in the first film, and she actually plays an important role in the second film. And that, uh, am I putting words in your mouth to say that rubbed you the wrong way? Uh, It's not that it rubbed me the wrong way. I just feel like the problem was if they knew that that was going to be that character coming back, it almost would have been nice to have had a better actress to portray that role what's your problem with Gwyneth Paltrow dude (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean you know maybe Gwyneth Paltrow would have been better as it I'm not sure but she just didn't do she just didn't have a lot to add to the role and I think having somebody a little bit more dynamic as like this sort of comparison to Eggsy I just think would have helped this movie a lot more when she's a lot more of a focal point of the movie and i think there's just some aspects of if if they had a little bit better actress in that role um some of like what happens with her character throughout the golden circle would maybe be a little bit more like you'd maybe empathize with it a little bit more other than it coming off as just kind of a you know princess that you know wasn't getting her way even though she was and you know, Eggsy was trying to do the right thing, but she just kind of came off as like a spoiled princess. Um, and I can't believe this, so I'm going to do drugs and then, you know, going to just cause this added problems for for Eggsy and company. And so, I don't know. I, I just feel like if they would have done a little bit, if they would have had a different character or a different actress there that added a little bit more to it, um, it maybe would have helped the movie more. Um. I agree. I think the scene was a little bit overdone with her breaking up with him because it's like, come on, lady, he's a secret agent. Well, and let's, he's let's, trying to be truthful with her. But Let's set it up here. Eggsy and the princess are now in a relationship. Yeah. They're committed. And as part of Eggsy's like, spy mission, is he has to bang uh, Charlie's girlfriend. Well, it turns out he didn't have to bang her, but, you know. It's well, just, he had to make some, some kind, kind of, of insertion. insertion. Yes, but yeah. he just... Um, I guess I wasn't put off with the actress. I mean, you're playing royalty. Also, you don't really want too strong of an actress because she is sort of a minor character. You don't want to take away from Iggy in in a sense because you have all these other uh, supporting cast behind too that are trying to have part of the screen. But I thought she was all right. Um, but I did enjoy that she did come back because it shows his loyalty to his friends and to him keeping a partner because you know in most spy movies typically they have a new girlfriend by the next movie or a new love interest and so I thought it was very nice and very unique to have him be with someone and be truthful to that person and to continue on and then of course they get married in the end but 
I thought it was a nice little touch to the film for me. So Yeah, I agree. And let's do a little role play here, honey. <laughs> let's put you and me on the spot here. <laughs> Alright. So let's let's just pretend that like I have an opportunity to place Burns on the Minmax podcast to help raise the credibility for OIO. Should I be insulted? Should I break up with Burns if he has to insult something in Hansen for the good of the podcast? <laughs> The, the problem with your comparison here is that I've never inserted anything within you, so it wouldn't really be cheating in that sense, you know? It would just be, I got there sooner with Hanson than I did with you. Sorry, Tom. Part of it's your fault, bro. Well, talking about characters and actresses, let's have you, Tom, and Joey... Gal Gadot. Talk about Julianne Moore. Oh, sure. <laughs> let's see. Let's see you guys duke this out. <laughs> All right. Julianne Moore is the main antagonist in this film, and she has a very 50s kind of housewife kind of, uh, I don't know, malt shop type vibe. She's isolated on this island. She's selling all the drugs. Um, and uh, she's just, she's a ruthless, vicious villain. And she, like, the one review said she grinds people up in a meat grinder and then serves them to other people. It is dark. I thought she was awesome. I love the juxtaposition of like the sweet looking exterior with that vicious inside. But Burns, you indicated earlier in the show that you hated Julianne Moore with a burning fiery passion. <laughs> I don't know that I would say that. And as an actress, I love Julianne Moore. Like I think she's great in a lot of movies that she's in. The problem is, is this movie didn't really ask her to do a whole lot. Um, I think she was maybe in 50% less of the movie than Samuel L. Jackson was in the first movie. And so there wasn't a lot of mechanism to really understand her villain as much as you got to understand Valentine, which then made it a weaker villain. And um, sure, you're probably not going to be able to empathize with this you know drug kingpin lady as much as you would be this guy that's just trying to make the world a better place no matter what it you know no matter what means he's trying to get to that point but i I just i feel like there was something with that dynamic that didn't just work just didn't work and sure she was much more brutal than valentine was like directly much more brutal anyway um, you know, by the first scene that you see of her, she's shoving a guy in the meat grinder because he, um, you know, didn't do his job the right way. Uh, but I just, I feel like other than that and like a couple of other scenes, she's just like barely there. And so it's like, you know, there's just nothing to really get behind with that character. And so she just kind of falls flat. And I think in general, like this movie was just missing a lot of that with a lot of characters. Um, and you know, you had your couple of focuses, like I would argue, you know, and that whiskey is probably more the main villain than fricking Julianne Moore Poppy is because, you know, he's actually interacting back and forth with Eggsy like they have Valentine do in the first movie, um, with Harry, you know, and, and I think it's just, it's one of those things where she's just kind of like the big bad. She's not even at the end though, because she gets taken care of, and then it's whiskey, you know. So, yeah, I think I think that. So I think that's I think that's what it was that just made this difficult was that so many of these other characters 
didn't get a whole lot of a chance to breathe as much as they did in the first movie, which is why I think some of these things didn't land the way that that they did in the Secret Service. Well, I just was curious, you know, with... Um... If the statesman wasn't quite so heavily used in the film, I wonder if that allowed Poppy to be a little bit more central-based. I don't know if statesman took a bit away from her to shine. Oh, Channing Tatum danced. That was great. <laughs> he was barely in the movie either. <laughs> Just like... yeah. uh, hey, he demonstrated the manic phase. He had a role. <laughs> but Bernsey brought up um, uh, Wish Guy, Pedro Pascal. Casey, what did you think of his fighting in this film like generally speaking he's done a lot of great roles and very iconic nerd properties i was a little turned off by his ability to physically execute the combat in this film are you on the same page as me or are you well it's just that you noticed both us noticed that you know with colin firth and i can never say his name eggsy the actor their close-ups in their fight scenes in the movie. It's all their faces. It's close-ups. But with Pedro Pascal... There's a lot of cutaways, a lot of stunt doubles. You never see his face close-up when he's doing it. Interesting. I guess I never noticed that. But I also, like, I think he kind of fights different. You know, like, he uses whips and he uses the lasso, which are more distance weapons. So um, a lot of that could have to do with it like i've never myself tried to use a lasso but try (laughs) you know like if if they're using stunt men for that specific purpose that could explain why there's the cutaways and things like that versus you know some of that more up close hand-to-hand combat which can be choreographed a lot easier i would think so um i i think you know like i said i didn't i didn't notice that and i didn't really have an issue with it Uh, i was just thinking about bernadette cumberbatch he uh, just boasted on how he learned to lasso and he could lasso anything and then I think he did something somewhere and everyone was praising him so I are you actually saying that Benedict no, Cumberbatch should have been in this if film Benedict Cumberbatch could learn to lasso I think Pedro Pascal could have learned to lasso for the well, film. well but let's be honest the entire lasso was completely CG throughout any of That's the times true. when he was doing it so Really, it, it wasn't. It didn't matter who was like lassoing it. It was probably going to look weird because of how they implemented it, especially because it had like electronic powers with it. So it had to kind of be enhanced in that way. I think so. I think that added to that aspect a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't. Know. I think Casey was onto something with that. Um, to just talk about characters. Um... I just want to say, it's like when we first saw the film Golden Circle, it really shocked me to see them bring back Galahad, Harry, you know, because it's like, how could they bring him back? And it was the Matthew Vaughn special, honey. Yeah, it is. And it's just, it's interesting how they explain how they brought him back and everything. But I do like um, his character coming back and I do like having him part of the movie and I like how they handled him coming back because he didn't know who he was he was confused and once he remembered it was nice that they didn't have him immediately become the machine that he was before he still was stumbling quite a bit which was nice to see you know with the butterflies and it was a nice little touch with the butterflies because if in the first film you see his bathroom filled with butterflies and it's like well that's interesting decor option so yeah a lot of dead things in his bathroom yeah and then also tying in the dog the dog was the key to bring harry's memory back to him which i thought was 
a nice touch to tie that movie together. So I agree that I, I like the way that they did that um, with, you know, how they how his memory like was was gone and how they brought it back and everything. Um, does it cheapen, though, the weight of what happened in the first movie by basically just undoing it in this movie? And then, hey, we did that with Harry, and then we did that with Charlie, and it's like, in the next movie, are they just going to bring back everybody that died in this one? Like, I mean, like, <laughs> that that's the only thing about it is, is you know, how comic booky are they going to get? Is just like, is nobody actually ever dead? And they'll come back, like, like, Ruby's gonna come back in the next movie and she's burnt like over three fourths of her body and <laughs> she's the next big bad or 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 how's that gonna work? I, I don't know. I to me that that cheapens it a little bit. Like I was happy to see Harry back and I liked the way they implemented it, especially with you know him trying to shoot and like not being able to hit things correctly because of his depth perception being off since he only has the one eye. Um, you know, I thought that that was all like really clever and, and made for some good moments, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's the worry I always have whenever they they kind of kill a character off and bring them back. Well, I mean, we can go all the way back to Tolkien. Like, the only person that can <laughs> stay dead in the Lord of the Rings is freaking Boromir. <laughs> People love that, S dude. So, yeah, I think it's fine. It, it all plays. Casey, what do you think of the scene where they uh, where Poppy eradicated the Kingsman? I just think it's interesting that so obviously she's the most powerful drug dealer in the world, but it's <laughs> like there just seems to be a giant plot hole or something where like I don't understand how even a super powerful drug dealer with a secret mission can launch a super coordinated attack where it launches multiple missiles to multiple targets that all strike within seconds of each other, which flies over what I'm assuming has to be major metropolitan areas and there's absolutely zero missile defense from the Kingsmen. There's zero missile defense from Europe itself. Like, I would guess... <laughs> it's their one weakness, dude! <laughs> if there's surface-to-air missiles flying over top of a country, then they're probably going to get shot down sooner than later. You know, like, they're not just going to, like, hit with exact precision. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. The, the whole scene to me was kind of like, okay really <laughs> like that's possible i don't know but you know whatever it's it had to happen to make the movie move forward if that's the best they could come up up with and to add on top of that like not only is that silly but like but i just thought it was super unrealistic and to add on top of that like not only was that silly but like she also didn't have any mechanism in place to see that the job was done it's like oh yeah, I mean, I blew up all their houses. They're probably dead, right? Like, yeah, everyone's in their house all the time. So, like, we good. We don't need to check on Merlin. We don't need to check on Eggsy. Those guys, not important. <laughs> well, and I think the other side of it, too, is it's just like, we're just, just going to kill these characters without any, like, fanfare or anything like that. Like, all this building up that you did with Ruby as a character. Roxy. You're like, oh, okay, she's still around. And what's going to happen with her in this movie? Oh, she's just going to eat a missile in the first 25 minutes, and that's it. Um, it's just like, and, and plus, yeah, you're this, you, you know, you're you're the Kingsman. You have all this money, all this technology, and your missile warning happens five seconds before it hits. That's not going to work. Like, come on, dudes. Like, I don't know. It was just, it, it was just, it was frustrating because it, it almost felt like it was 
taking too many steps down the uh, J R George R R Martin train, where it's just like we're gonna kill characters off just to kill characters off, and that can happen in this movie. Um, and it's just like, well, but nobody's safe the except the main dudes. Yeah, yeah, and then even yeah, and even if they do die, they're they'll be brought back in the next movie. So you know, I, I don't know. That was the, that was the one thing that that bothered me a bit too. Was was just you know, you have these characters that you've built up a little bit. We're just gonna kill them on a whim, you know. And it's like, oh, it's okay. You know, your dog that you had bonded with for all the, for these couple of years is completely dead now. Um, no, it's all right. I got you a new one. It's going to be perfectly fine. Oh, no, I'm leaving you. Sorry. I'm taking the dog too. Oh, now I'm frozen. It's just like, I don't know. There's just a lot of this that it just kind of frustrated me a little bit because it just didn't feel like a lot of the aspects of this movie worked together the same way that everything worked together in the secret service. The Secret Service is a gem of a movie. This film is not. If you expect it to be on the same plane as Kingsman, it just isn't. It's a fun action film with Matthew Vaughn style and some characters that you know from the first film, but it's a vastly inferior film. In the interest of time, we're going to move on to The Kingsman. Not Kingsman Secret Service, not Kingsman Golden Circle, but The King's Man, released in 2021. When politicians fail to stop a cabal plotting to start a massive war to wipe out England, an aristocrat takes it upon himself to plant the seeds of an independent intelligent agency. Starring Ralph Yanis as Orlando Oxford, Gemma Artisan as Polly, uh, Ho Ho D, Jiman Hansu as Shola, and Harris Dickinson as Conrad Oxford. This film has a Metacritic rating of 44 with 8 positive, 22 mixed, and 10 negative reviews. Barry Hertz of the Globe and Mail Toronto wrote a totally wild and historically um, loose First World War thriller. The King's Man arrives as a head-scratching mess of bewildering ambition and outrageous style. Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian writes, Like a big... Like a great big, playful, unneutered pitbull, Matthew Vaughn's new Kingsman movie comes crashing into our cinematic lives this Christmas, overturning the furniture and frantically humping everyone's leg before rolling over on the carpet for you to tickle its tummy or anything else that comes to hand. Molly Freeman at Screen Rant writes, The Kingsman is a joyless prequel to Kingsman, devoid of the charming offbeat comedy and pulse-pounding action scenes that make this franchise fun. So, The Kingsman... A prequel movie to the Kingsman duo. Standout performance in The King's Man. As we all just stare at each yeah, other saying, do I, we... We kind of talked about it <laughs> earlier, but... Yeah. I, I think uh, Reese Evans' like, portrayal of Rasputin was the, the highlight of this movie, I think. I, I just he did a fantastic job, and once again, I cannot believe that he's... Who he is, like he's a very talented actor because some of the roles that he plays are vastly different, and, and uh, I think this was one of his best ones for sure. And I think it's somewhat the one standout performance that we have from this film is a relatively minor, not minor, but one of the lower tier antagonists in the film. Well, it he stands out so prominently, and it's just fun that he does because he's such a great actor, but. The villain himself, I think, is a decent standout character because 
they keep him in the shadows. His voice is different. It's like, why are they keeping him in the in the shadows? Usually we see Matthew Vaughn's villains right away. We usually see them, you know. And it's tied to a big twist. And, like, yeah. watching this film now for the second time as we prepared for the show, like, I was watching every interaction uh, that led up to that reveal. And, like, they did a phenomenal job of they masking did. it. Like, there were no clues. It's like, all of a sudden, here's the thing. Bernsey, did you like that reveal for the main villain, the man, main antagonist in The Kingsman? I mean, I definitely didn't see that being who it was. Um, and it was kind of, it was interesting to sort of try to guess as it went through. So, like, when you first see the person meeting with them and they're grayed out, I was thinking it was Lennon, but then, you know, Rasputin's dead, so we just pull Lennon in. So I was like, oh, okay, it's not that. And it's some Scottish guy, apparently. Um, and so I'm just, like, trying to think who... Scottish could be like pulling the strings. Um, it it kind of landed with a thud though, where it's just like, oh, it's just this guy. Great, I don't know. It's like I don't know. It it seemed it seemed a little silly and a little convenient to me that that was who it ended up being. Um, but you know, maybe that's just me. Uh, I definitely didn't see it coming though, so kudos on that i guess yeah i just thought it was just an interesting approach for matthew vaughn because usually his villains are prominent in the spotlight you see them you understand them so but and phoenix you're our resident history buff this is a loose retelling of the events that spark world war one how did you feel about its historical elements were they Close-ish? Were they so crazy that it was unbelievable, or how was the like historical fantasy element of this film? Um, I, I guess because we were talking earlier, it, it when I first saw it, I was like, oh, the assassination was done differently, and I had a great history teacher in college, Mister Hart, and when he went through assassin after assassin after assassin, it's just it's a crazy story. Like the gun didn't work. The guy who threw the bomb in the movie, it shows him hitting it with the umbrella and bouncing it out. But what really happens is the bomb hits the cover of the um, convertible and it bounces and hits the car behind them. And the guy thought he did the job. So he takes off running, does a cyanide pill and jumps into the river to kill himself twice. Cyanide pill was too old. He vomits and the river was so dry from the summer. He's standing knee deep in the water. So basically the crowd descend upon him and beat him up. It's just a completely wild story. So it, I thought Matthew Vaughn could have used a lot more from the actual events to make it because it's unbelievable what happened. But in the end, it does happen where the guy walks up to the car and shoots Ferdinand. But you know, the film, as far as the trenches and the no man's land, I thought were spot on. It, it's a great scene that he does with them crawling through. And then they run into the German sh soldiers and having to be quiet when they fight. I thought it was very poignant, you know, because they have to be quiet. They can't shoot anything off. And so I thought a lot of those, um, he did a well done job having the world war one be a background story and i think he did a good job telling it so and casey let's uh expand on that scene in no man's land a little bit uh one of the main protagonists conrad is forced out into no man's land on the secret mission to recover this thing from a dude and uh, he and his squad run into a german squad and they have to 
uh, fight to the death, and they can't make any noise because if they make any noise, the gunners on both sides will just murder everything. How did that scene strike you, and how does it stack up against some of the other Matthew Vaughn fight scenes? Uh, me, this was the signature, well, I should say signature fight scene, because the fight scene with Rasputin was also really good, but this one was, I think, right on par with that one, and being just kind of the, one of the signature Vaughn-esque, you know, um, fight scenes in the movie, and just the that having to be quiet and not using guns so everything is that real close hand-to-hand combat that, that Bond seems to like um, and, and does really, really well. Uh, and it's just, you know, different <clears throat> different scene, different than anything that we've seen before. And then finally when they when the, when they do make noise and the guy finally pulls out a gun and shoots the one guy and all the... Um, Players? What they're called the... the or the flares, thank you. <laughs> the flares go off, just boom, 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 and the, and the sky's all of a sudden lit up, and they just take off on a, on a dead sprint and, and end up uh, jumping to safety and, and finding is who he's supposed to find, of course. <laughs> but but uh, I, I just thought the whole, the whole scene was extremely well done and visually amazing as well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the end of that scene or the result of that scene then ends up being, um, you know, Conrad running the safety, supposedly. Uh, um, And so, you know, now I'm just going to always refer to the main character in Layer Cake. His name isn't X, it's Conrad, because, (laughs) hey, he succeeded. He saved the day. Bam. Nope, some dude shot him. (laughs) And it's just like, that ended up being kind of, sort of the rub on this movie is it's like where Kingsman was still like a lot of serious things happening. It still had a bit of, it had enough of a lighthearted element to it. And like, granted, I know world war one Europe was not a lighthearted place. Um, and there's not a lot of fun that was had there, but like the entire movie is just so GD depressing. Like, everything's just a downer. I felt like I needed to call my doctor afterwards and get a prescription for a while. Cause it's just like, you know, and it's like, I went in, it's like, I love Rafe Fines. I like, I really wanted to like, I was really excited to see like him kind of in that, um, you know, uh, Colin Firth role. It's like not somebody that you typically see do a lot of actiony types of things. And now we're going to see him like kind of run rampant with it. Uh, but then no, it's just like, depressing thing after depressing thing after depressing thing and I don't know the movie was just kind of a downer (laughs) all the way through did this film truly have to be called the king's man did it need to be connected to the king's man franchise because it doesn't really set up king's man the secret service particularly well other than uh showing one aristocrat that they might have referenced in the first film, I wish that this had been its own unaffiliated thing. And I imagine that has repercussions like lower budget, less sales because the Kingsman is a brand and will bring people into the theater. But like for me, the first time I watched this film, I hated it. I hated it with a burning fiery passion. And I was dreading rewatching it for this show and having some separation from my expectations for the Kingsman. It's like, Oh, well, okay. This, this is a different thing and it's a much more plotting pace and uh more cerebral i just 
I wish it wasn't affiliated with the Kingsman because when they have the Kingsman in the title, like I expect Eggsy and a phenomenal arc and some great action, and most of those elements were missing. Uh, so ultimately, I mean, so like it sets up like the Arthur Lancelot sort of thing, and you know he sort of starts the spy network, and I thought it's an interesting premise that you know the spy mark the spy network starts up basically from all of the help communicating with the help of all these different other prominent houses throughout Europe and then throughout the world, basically. And that's how the information gathering starts. So I thought like that aspect of it was neat and it was an interesting way to to show like, this is how all of this started. Um, and it makes sense that, you know, world war one with as crazy as that was, and you know, the great war as it was in Europe, um, you know, people would probably go to drastic measures in order to create something like this in order to try to stop the madness that the government couldn't, you know? Um, so I think all of that made sense being what it was. Also, I don't think this movie makes $400 million globally, uh, if it's not a Kingsman movie. So, you know, I mean, look at Argyle. It's not related to any of that, but it's still the same director doing a lot of the same types of things as he did with those movies. And it's made what? 60 million dollars globally so far maybe 70 million now uh so it's like a far cry lower whereas if they had some other random kingsman name tie into argyle even if the movie had nothing to do with it it probably would have shot up another hundred million you know yeah interesting point yeah and i i don't disagree with you but as a fan of kingsman like it made me hate this film initially Yeah, I, t- I totally get that, too. And honestly, like, for me, I, I feel like I think it could have been a separate entity on its on its own. But box office-wise, sure, I don't think it would have done as well. That's that's probably why they did it like this way. But for me, like, at the end, I was almost left with more questions on, like, I need another movie between this one and the other Kingsman. Oh, it's coming. See, like, what it's the heck the happens? <laughs> oh, it's, okay. Oh, yeah. well, there there you that go. And maybe and that's why they did it. Because, like, a hundred year gap at you know kingsman which i'm assuming was right around 2010s 20 you know like right around right around that time it's almost that hundred year gap in between i need to see how they became like so technologically advanced and how they went from you know just having this military background and you know being good fighters to elite like unstoppable like hand-to-hand combat experts and can do all this crazy stuff like how how did that happened because when you where it left off at the end and like the people they have sitting around the table it's like you're telling me this is like this elite spy group this is the best you could put together because these guys look like i could walk in there and beat half of their you know like this (laughs) so i i i need to see what i need to see that evolution and i just didn't get that i guess other than like you said you know like oh we have arthur and lancelot and you know, the guy's name is Arthur. Ha ha. Okay, great. So I don't know. It, it just, at the end of it, I feel like I was, I had, I had a lot of questions that were still unanswered on how it truly became this super secret spy network that they, that they ended up being in the later movies. Yeah. So currently there's the, there's two movies that are in pre-production. It's uh, the King's man, the traitor King, and it's basically picking up where the what credit sequence sequence started, where it's going to be exploring then Adolf Hitler's rise to power, 
and then the Kingsman trying to affect or stop that, uh, basically. And then there is Kingsman, the Blue Blood, which is also in pre-production, which is going to be the carry-on from the Golden Circle. And so, so yeah, so there's going to be more of that stuff. And I'm guessing that as long as they keep making money, they'll keep making the Kingsman movies until it gets to where Kingsman was. Um, and then Kingsman will keep going as long as that keeps making money as well, I would guess. Yeah, it's interesting because I think Kingsman is a great film. The original Kingsman Secret Service is a great film. And I think that everything else with the Kingsman name is subpar against that standard. Uh, but let's move on to our next film, the most recent film, which is Argyle. Argyle released in February of this year, this month, or last month as you're listening to this podcast, hopefully. Starring Bryce, Dallas Howard, Sam Rockwell, Henry Cavill, Brian Cranston, and Catherine O'Hara. Argyle is the story of a spy novelist who somehow is predicting real things that are happening covertly in the world. And it kicks up a whole hornet's nest of trouble. This film has a Metacritic rating of 35, 6 positive reviews, 30 mixed, and 21 negative. Some of the critical feedback includes Liz Shannon Miller at Consequence writing, The stakes might technically be high, but at a certain point, Argyle abandons all connection to reality to deliver a pure romp from beginning to end. Yes, this at times tips over into silliness, but during a time of real geopolitical upheaval and political uncertainty, maybe there's nothing wrong with that. Peter DeBruge from Variety writes, While common sense and good taste may be inclined to resist Vaughn's garishly over-the-top style at first, the movie eventually finds its groove. Jake Coyle at the Associated Press writes, Crisscrossing patterns of ridiculousness and self-satisfaction run through Argyle, a tiresome meta-movie that puts an awful lot of zest into an awfully empty, high-concept story. So, another relatively big cast. Phoenix, who delivered the standout performance in Argyle? I, I really enjoyed Sam Rockwell, and I know Casey did too. But I also... I'll let him talk about him, but Bryce Dallas Howard, I think, was really, she did an incredible job in the film because she has to play an author and she's stumbling through everything. She doesn't know where things, what's happening. She's totally confused. And then all of a sudden, the switch goes off and she finds out she's actually a secret agent. I'm not sure we should say that. I'm not sure we should spoil this film that just came out a month ago. Well, it's up to you. Do you want to do spoilers or not? Um, I don't think we should do spoilers. You guys have thoughts? I mean, film's not doing well. I don't know. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, the film's <laughs> taking, so we probably won't uh, won't hurt it. And, you know, it just... Again, it just shows that Matthew Vaughn can take an actor or an actress who isn't seen as a heavy action star. You know, we see Henry Cavill as a action star. He does He's action. He's a witcher. He, <laughs> he's going to be the Highlander. He That's what he does. But with Bra- uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, it's, it's fun to see him take another actor like he did with Colin Firth and turn them into an action star and make it believable. And so... And I enjoyed her um, physique, which has been talked about. She kept her normal physique. She didn't uh, allow people to talk her into losing weight to look skinny for this role. And it's nice as a woman to see another woman standing up for 
her body image, but also being able to portray that she can be an athletic woman doing stunts. She and can doing be powerful yeah. without being stick thin. Yeah. So, but again, I thought she was great being this innocent author and doing the switch. I thought she did an excellent job switching over. So, and Burns, what did you think of the author's, uh, gosh, I didn't even write down what her name was in the film, Ellie, what Ellie's arc was throughout the entire film. Did you believe it when the switch flipped? I mean, I was starting to, I was starting to guess that that was what was going on, and so um, I thought that that was pretty neat, especially because of how um, Sam Rockwell's character continued to regard her like more and more as time went on, and it was like either there was a history there, or it was that this was like the worst sort of building of a romance <laughs> in the history of film, because you know he was either becoming super infatuated with her just because they've been in the foxhole together for like three days two days um or it was because you know he does have this relationship that all this time that he's kind of known her and so i was starting to wonder if there was something with that um and why it was so important for him to take her to samuel l jackson but i think it i think it was fantastic of seeing her sort of go through all of those revelations um, that continued to kind of come out. Um, and then how she dealt with that and how she had to overcome that. Uh, and how, like, the other characters, especially Sam Rockwell, were helping to get her past that. Um, I thought that that was, I thought that that was really well done, actually. Yeah, I agree. Casey, you really like Sam Rockwell in this yeah, film. Yeah, for sure. I don't think I'd... Oh. Yeah, I like Sam Rockwell in every film. I think he's just a fantastic actor, and I don't know, like, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie that he's been in where he's been bad. You know, like he's he's excellent in, in everything that I've ever seen. So, um, I, I I really like he's this you know super spy that we've seen in some of Matthew Bond's other movies where. He's, he's just badass spies, but you could tell there's just something inside, and it's that struggle with like seeing Ellie and what she is, and wanting her to be that old Ellie that he fell in love with, and you know just that internal struggle and, and fight within himself. I think was carried out extremely well uh, by him, and but yeah, he's just I don't know. I love Sam Rockwell. He's, I'll he's second great. that. <laughs> so. And the film largely follows. Those two, it, one of the climactic scenes involves them fighting wave after wave after wave of enemy. Casey, what did you think of the dance scene with Aiden and Ellie? I thought it was the best scene in the entire movie. Um, I loved the visuals, all the different colored smoke grenades going off. Like I had a giant grin smile on my face for the first time in the entire movie, I think. <laughs> I was just waiting for something like this to happen and, and when it finally did, I was like, oh, this is what I love about these movies. You know, this is everything that it should be. And then the scene after that completely undid, undid <laughs> it and my smile just went to, god dang it, like, why? Why did you do this? Like, <laughs> and you could just see it coming too. I'm like, and I just thought in my mind, like, when they started shooting the pipes and the oil came out, I'm like, she's gonna skate on top of the oil i know it and then sure enough there it came and i was just like what in the heck are you doing but the dance scene was incredible <laughs> I, I think it was super well done it was the highlight of the movie and uh yeah it was i don't know one of the only good things about the movie i think unfortunately for me 
I, I enjoyed the dance scene too. I do think that it was like a bit overlong. Like I think it's, I think it overstayed its welcome a little bit. Um, like you kind of get the gist of what's going on and then it keeps doing the same thing for a while until everything starts to kind of sandbag against them. Um, but I still really enjoyed that scene, but, um, I don't know if any of us are experts to sort of say whether this makes sense or not, but like, would that actually work with like the knives and skating no, on oil? Like something. I thought like <laughs> it just works on ice, right? No, it absolutely would not work. Um, I've played hockey and been around hockey my entire life. I know what a hockey skate blade looks like. Um, it doesn't look anything like a knife edge, and if you tried to skate on a knife edge, you would fall flat on your face. And even a figure skating knife edge looks absolutely, or a figure skating yeah. blade edge looks uh -huh. completely nothing <laughs> like a blade. Let al let alone let's take a knife and as you're applying all that pressure and cut the bejesus out of your foot. Like, give, give me a break. <laughs> That was uh, sure, sure, sure. Well, I mean, e even with the even the yeah, oil that was with the cement, you can't really move around either because the oil is so thin that I couldn't see it buffering enough for even you to skate. And if, if she had figure skates, I don't think she could even skate on cement with oil. I just I don't know if it would work. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think it would work. And either. Oh. It, you're 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 a thousand percent correct too, because that's how a skate blade works. Is it actually the edge it creates that friction and it actually melts, so you get like this little layer of. It's. Yeah. That wouldn't happen, obviously, with yes. oil and a knife blade. <laughs> so, what do we think of? You're right. She yeah. would have dug right into the floor, fell on her face, and she would have been shot. <laughs> Movie over. <Bend> over. <laughs> What did you guys think of Brian Cranston and Catherine O'Hara as the main villains in this film? Because this movie tries to toe the line between being spy film and mind-deaf film. And for me, it kind of created a muddled mess. As much as I enjoy Brian Cranston in most things, uh, I didn't... I wasn't particularly drawn to the villains in this film. Am I the only one that thought they fell a little flat? They fell flat for I, me, too. So. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, they fell flat for me, too. I didn't see the depth that he can have in his films with his villains and I was just going to ask you guys too if you want to answer after Joey's done but how did you feel about the cat being the one to take out Brian, uh, hit Brian Cranston instead of this big showdown or something so but I mean at least there was finally a purpose for the cat that's so, true, <laughs> that's know, true. Other, than, other than to make Sam Rockwell sneeze um, <laughs> so so there was that. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I don't think that Brian Cranston especially was given a whole lot of leeway to do a whole lot with that character. It was pretty one note all the way through. Not a lot changed with him. Um, you know, and it was, yeah, there's a couple of twists that are involved with him. And, you know, that's when, like, all the gears really start to click into place um, is when, when you see him at one point. Uh, I think it was fun seeing Catherine O'Hara try to be like a villain. Um, so I think that was interesting. I wouldn't necessarily say that she should be nominated for like best actor or best supporting actress 
or anything like that, but it was still, I think it was fun to see her do that because it's a little bit different than Shit's Creek. So that's the name of the show, Tom. You don't have to beep it. So (laughs) (laughs) I wish they would have not had Catherine O'Hara play a villain. Like, I wish they would have somehow figured out a way to have her just be Ellie's mom and Brian Cranston secretly be this villain as the dad and I wish that when he shot Catherine O'Hara, sorry, spoiler alert, that they would have actually left her dead because that would have made Brian Cranston's character as the villain so much more evil and by bringing her back and then, you know, it just it, it wrecked it, you know like we've seen uh, obviously the Brian Cranston, he played Walter White, one of the most villainous and evil characters that's ever been in any media, right? And yeah, I just don't think they let him let him shine. It was this, it just seemed like a, I don't know, just a very bleh villain overall. You know, like it was, I don't know, it just didn't didn't do him justice. I don't think at all. And I just think that there were certain things that they could have done to make it so much better. Did this film deserve to be a box office flop? It's a big question. <laughs> um, there's I, a lot of pieces. Yeah, I think there's I think. a lot of pieces that are... Um, <laughs> Let me rephrase it in a different way. Is this a bad movie? Um, it's probably on his side of his kind of mediocre, bad movies that he's done. Um, probably trying to squish too much into one film instead of just trying to keep it simple. Um, having some things go too long. Just... Like the film just went on and on and on, and I think things could have been cut here, there, uh, clipped a little bit shorter, some scenes. So, yeah, I think I can see why it's not doing well in the box office. So. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. I think it, it's a running time, I think it's like right around two hours, it's off of off of different scenes or deleted scenes. Like if you get rid of the skating scene all together, it makes the dance scene even better. I think, you know, the fact that the skate scene followed up such an awesome scene. And then it just like went back to who again, like just, just wrecked it for me. Um, And then, yeah, just like some of the other stuff we already talked about. So I I agree. And like, I think in it, they really disappointed that I paid $15 or or whatever the heck it was to see it, you know, something that I watched would have been as bad. And it did have its moments. Like, there, there are parts of this movie that are good, but I think those are just overshadowed by a lot of the over-the-top, campy stuff that could have been left out. And I think of all the movies that we've talked about, this is the only one that I wouldn't watch again. So, I'll be putting up the GoFundMe to help reimburse Casey <laughs> for the lost finances for watching this movie in the theaters and apparently that was that crushing for him to, <laughs> to, to, to watch it that way um, but I don't know I'm I think the problem this movie ran into is that I think it was fighting against expectations that were set up that um, definitely didn't help it uh, if you are going into this movie thinking it was going to be anything like Kingsman or the Kingsman or anything like that, um, I think you're going to be sorely 
like mistaken and, and you're gonna probably come out saying that you know this kind of stinks um you know if you're going off of just like the setup that they put into the trailer and this is sort of what this whole thing is is it's this you know this writer that ends up all this stuff is coming true and now there's all these people out together um like i think if you're going into it with that sort of mindset and looking at the movie as more of a, I wouldn't say like a spoof, but more of like a farce type of movie. Uh, definitely much more lighthearted than a realistic spy movie. You know, it's not a spy thriller. This is not going to be anywhere near Jason Bourne. It's the opposite end of the spectrum. It's the Melissa um, McCarthy and I spectrum. Think if you go, right, right. It's a, it's a lot more like, yeah, what, what was that movie called? Spy, I Spy or something like that? Yeah, or, I think it's just Spy. I can't remember. Yeah. Spy? Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think if you go into it thinking that this is going to be more comedic than, you know, spy-centric, action-centric, uh, I think you get a lot more out of it. Um, I still think in that vein... Um, it doesn't quite live up to a lot of other things. Like the movie that I kind of likened it to a little bit that came out recently was Bullet Train. Um, I'm not sure if either if any of you guys have seen that. And I believe it's on Netflix. Um, and that's like a, a movie, and it all takes place on a train. So you know, kind of harkens to the beginning of this movie. But um, that has a lot of action. It has a lot of humor. It's kind of like crazy, over the top. You know action and it just wonky weird stuff that happens and like this unraveling plot that is all this weird stupid connectedness um kind of like this movie i just think that one did a lot better than what uh argyle did but i still actually really enjoyed argyle um and i think it's a fun movie i don't think it should have like massively underperformed at the box office like it did then again, there's been a lot of movies recently that have been underperforming quite a bit. So I think it might just be people aren't going to the movies right now as much. Um, if it would have came out maybe in like May or April, maybe more people would have been going to movies at that point as you start to get into summer blockbuster season. But then again, maybe it gets washed out <coughs> by uh, a lot of other things also. I'm not sure. So so to paraphrase Burns, to answer my question, no, not a bad film. It had... It had maybe some moments that aren't as good as other Matthew Vaughn films, but there was there were elements to enjoy in this film. Alright, we're going to close this show by ranking these films. We're going to rank the eight feature films of Matthew Vaughn. Uh, in order of Metacritic score, these films from low to high are Argyle at 35, The Kingsman at 44, Kingsman The Golden Circle at 44, Kingsman The Secret Service at 60, X-Men First Class at 65, Kick-Ass at 66, Stardust at 66, and Layer Cake at 73. Casey, you had an interesting observation about these Metacritic scores. Actually, I think it was Joey who pointed it out first. Oh, yeah, sorry, I just saw your initials on the notes. Actually, yeah. yeah, no, but they, they go in order of his first movie is his highest rated, and then it goes... Down from there, so layer cake starting at 70, 73 all the way down to Argyle at thirty five. And I thought that was yeah, really that interesting. Was, uh, very, very interesting. I thought that was really interesting, Bernsey. Do you think that that is a byproduct of the Metacritic formula changing over time? Like, is that older films having less ratings that are rolled into Metacritic? Do you think, or do you think there has been a decline in quality over his entire catalog of films? 
So I think it's a combination of factors. Layer cake is high because at that point, when the movie came out, that's what all these reviews are pulling from. And when the movie came out, it was probably a lot better than if you're looking at Layer Cake now in 2024. Um, so I think there's something to be said about that. Uh, there's also then, like I kind of said with Argyle, the whole expectation game where, you know, oh, I really love the Secret Service. The Golden Circle didn't live up to that, so it gets rated lower. And then, oh, you know this is the King's man. It wasn't as good as the golden circle. So it gets rated lower. Like, I think it's just that reactionary type of thing. Also like looking at some different reviews, there are definitely some critics that don't believe in his style of filmmaking at all. And so I feel like as time's gone on, people that just don't jive with his stuff are much more eager to kind of knock it. Sure. When the way we like to do our rankings is we'll all put up what we think should be the lowest rated film. And then we'll argue, we'll get a consensus on that, and then we'll work our way up the list. So we're going to start with what we believe is the worst Matthew Vaughn film and end with what we believe is the best Matthew Vaughn film. Phoenix, what is the worst Matthew Vaughn film? You're going to start with me. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to lay me out there. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to. <laughs> That's true. Wrong terminology. Um... I guess I would have to say Layer Cake because it's not his... It's a good and decent film, but it's just not a Matthew Vaughn film. You know, the style that we've come to recognize, the stories, the stuff. So I would say as far as his, what he's become as a director, I would say it's not his typical style. And um, so I would put it at the bottom. So. And I'm with you because I just didn't like the film. <laughs> and it's got a very iconic moment at the end, but Layer Cake is... Out of all of these, the films that I like the least, and there's one that I w would consider swapping it with, Burnsy. Yeah, I had uh, Dead Last, The King's Man. Um, yeah, it just, I think the overall tone of it just didn't fit with what I was hoping for. And so, yeah, The King's Man is my least favorite. And Casey, what did you have ranked last among the Mas Matthew Vaughn films? Argyle with a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're in an interesting situation for me because my bottom three are Layer Cake, Argyle, and King's Man. So, like, I'm, I can see the cases that you both have for those bottom films. Um, what kind of flexibility do you guys have in the bottom end of your list, Burnsy? What would you consider the next worst film? Uh, the next worst film for me is Kingsman and the Golden Circle, and then it's Layer Cake. So, Layer Cake is down there. Also, um, I wouldn't be drastically against that being last um so yeah those would be my bottom three i also had kings the king's man and argyle as my bottom three so okay so we have some similar films down there casey just how high up did you have layer cake in your list like was this your number one film that we're advocating to be the worst oh god no absolutely not i I liked Layer Cake, but I know I'm in the minority. I know the three of you did not like it near as much as I did. Um, I get Phoenix's point on it not being a Matthew Vaughn-style film, yeah, but it is a Matthew it's, Vaughn it's, film. Yeah. It was his first one, and 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 it's still, in my opinion, I know, Tom, you didn't like it, but I think it was actually a good film, and I think it was cohesive, it made sense, and like front to back was actually a, a good movie, whereas... Argyle was at times a mess, in my opinion. So that's why I have Argyle there. Uh, layer cake, I do. I actually, I don't have it. It's in my bottom half. So for eight, it's it's in my bottom four. 
but mm-hmm. I I can't see putting it as the lowest one. Well, in Phoenix, do they sway you at all towards moving either the Kingsman or Argyle to the bottom of the list? Um, Argyle's pretty low. I mean, I think watching Argyle, I kind of enjoyed it more versus watching the Kingsman the first time around. I had a hard time getting into the pace of the film. Um, but so I guess maybe I would lean towards the Kingsman. But um. Do we all feel all right about putting Kingsman at the bottom of the list? I had it all the way up at six, but I think I'm making a huge flex here. Casey, what do you think of having Kingsman at the bottom of the list? I mean, it's my next lowest, so I, whatever, I guess. I, yeah, I just, I, I, I didn't. I thought there was more good in the Kingsman than there was in Argyle as well. All right. I'll, well, we'll lock in but the Kingsman. I'll, con- and I'll concede. If well, that, I just was curious. Do. How high is Argyle for you, Joey? I had it at number oh, wow. for five. So it's like just out of the bottom. Well, I was just going to say maybe doing the Kingsman and then Argyle next because that, but that's me. So Yeah, I'd be fine with that. I had Argyle I, I know- I'd All be right. okay with that trade off. <laughs> yeah, I'm the outlier on Argyle. I'm not gonna like die on a hill for it, so Alright, so at number eight we I have I'd be okay with that trade off. <laughs> yep. So at number eight we have yep, the Kingsman. At number seven we have Argyle. So I'm just gonna cross those off. Uh, I would advocate for Layer Cake at six, but the next film up on my list is Kingsman Golden Circle. I would do layer cake at six. And if it wasn't layer cake, what would be the next thing on your list? Um, I guess I have Golden Circle a little bit higher than you. Um, I was looking at maybe. Um, is it because of Pedro Pascal? Is it Wish Guy? No, it's not. <laughs> it's okay if it is. You can tell me. It has Eggsy and Harry, so it's kind of hard for me to let like drop that far but i can see oh, people foreshadowing there i could see people's point for wanting kingsman uh, golden circle lower so uh, to me that's fine dropping that down lower than what i would have on my list so yeah, yeah. so what would be your number one choice for this spot layer uh, cake layer cake yeah and then uh golden circle golden circle joey yeah it'd be the next one would be golden circle for me and then layer cake and Casey, what are your thoughts of these Same. two spots? All right. So it sounds like... Same. My, my next one... Yeah, so Golden Circle would be like where I would put this one, and then I, Layer Cake would be the next one. I expected Layer Cake to be here from, from you guys, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, hey, I'm, I'm fine with, with keeping uh, keeping Layer Cake. in the. That's where I had it ne- next, is in that uh, five spot. Awesome. So the bottom half of the list is set. We have number eight, The King's Man. Number seven, Argyle. Number six, Kingsman Golden Circle. Number five, Layer Cake. The next one that I had on my list, and uh, for me, I really like the top four films all quite a bit. The next one that I had on my list is Kick-Ass. Casey, what did you have next up? I had Stardust next. Yeah, I figured out. Yeah, you're wrong. Bernsey, who'd you have? <laughs> yeah, I, I had X-Men First Class next. Uh, I had Kick-Ass and then X-Men. I'm sorry, Phoenix, what did you have in the next spot? Yeah, I was looking at Kick-Ass too. So. 
So we have Kick-Ass, Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, or Stardust. Uh, I'll say this, Stardust is my number one film, so I would have a hard time dropping it down to four. Uh, for me, Kick-Ass and X-Men First Class are right in the same tier, so I'm, I'd am i be open to moving either one of those there. Kick-Ass is my number one film, so uh, I'm not fine with that going down here either. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm surprised. I, I, Kick-Ass is my... Kick, kick. Kick-Ass is my number one film as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, okay. And I mean, for me, Stardust and Kingsman, The Secret Service is a toss-up. I picked... Yeah, me too. For me, the tiebreaker was I thought you guys would both pick Kingsman as your number one film, so I put Stardust on top just to have a contrarian point of view. Um, so it sounds like the only <laughs> one that doesn't have a first-place vote is X-Men First Class. Is that our number four film? Yeah. Yep. He said with enthusiasm. And that was my number, that was that, that was my two, yeah. Alright, so the surviving films are Kingsman, The Secret Service, Stardust, and Kick Ass. I think that this is going to be a very challenging discussion and we're all gonna leave with hurt feelings. So this is gonna be good radio right here. <laughs> um, is Phoenix's number one Stardust as well? I it's been a toss up for me. I go back and forth between Secret Service and Stardust, well, I, and I, it's not a Matthew Vaughn film, and that's why I sort of want to do Secret Service first because it's more his traditional, you know, well not traditional, but what he likes to do for storytelling and action. So, but. all right, and since that was gonna be. <laughs> Oh, that was that was going to be my point. Is like if you had that as number number one, how you could argue that, uh, well, that layer cake is not, and then have Stardust as your number one when both of those are not traditional films. Well, Lake. <laughs> well, the reason I would have layer cake at the bottom, I just said that it was not his traditional film, was to just not sound mean. Uh, layer cake, it just it was flat and monotone and not very interesting for me. So that's why it was the last one for me. If I wanted say truly what yeah, it was gloves but... <laughs> off here honey this is a royal rumble but, anything um, goes here unless no. you criticize me <laughs> stardust um it's just it's unique it's a fantasy um story it's a love story and i truly enjoyed it when i first saw it and i loved the film and i love watching it over and over again but i guess in the end it's like secret service because it is when you think of matthew vaughn i think of that film so that's why i guess i would go for that one as my number one choice all right well i mean stardust and kingsman with two sides of a coin for me i'll drop stardust to three which i think we can all agree on and then we're really gonna have to hammer out kick-ass versus kingsman the secret service so a quick recap quick recap of the list before we debate the top two spots number eight the kingsman number seven argyle number six Kingsman Golden Circle, number five, Layer Cake, number four, X-Men First Class, number three, Stardust. And the last two films that we're debating for the top Matthew Vaughn films are either Kick-Ass or Kingsman Secret Service. <coughs> Excuse me. Which is very interesting because the comic book for Kick-Ass is the same author who wrote the comic book for Secret Service, so it is kind of fascinating that these are the two films that we're arguing again, head to head. So, uh, what sets these two films apart for me is the protagonist. And while Dave 
was interesting and very noble that he asked, well, why doesn't anyone actually put on a mask and go fight crime? Um, that's interesting, that's noble, but he doesn't, to me, have the same depth in his arc as Eggsy does. And I think that Eggsy is what sets Kingsman's Secret Service apart from all the other Matthew Vaughn films, with his arc from being the hooligan to becoming a spy and all of his growth along that path. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it's hard... It's hard for me to accept that any element of Kick-Ass is better than Eggsy's arc. I think that's a really, really valid point. Um, and like you said, these, these top four movies are all extremely, extremely good. Um, I think, for me, what's that Kick-Ass over the top is just, like... I don't know. I just like the, the the performance of of Hit Girl really is what it was, and then the, the I think this is where Matthew Vaughn really started to figure it out. You know, this is what I like to do, and then it's just that evolution. So this is like the first like real Matthew Vaughn film. But being said that, I think when you think of Matthew Vaughn and his catalog, if I were to say which movie would I either way with it, I had Kick Ass at first, but it's not going to break my heart if we end up. I, me, I'm just glad that we're we're not not gonna have a number one that has Gwyneth Paltrow in it. So, <laughs> uh, well, to tout Kingsman a bit more, like there's other outstanding characters in it. We all loved uh, Cullen Firth's portrayal of Harry Hart or Galahad, the guide in the film. Uh, there was the other agent, Roxy. Uh, I think you called her Ruby, but I'm pretty sure it's Roxy. There's Merlin on the good guy's side. There's the iconic villain in Valentine. Um, Phoenix, do you want to weigh in on why Kingsman should be number one? And then we'll give Burns a chance to rebut. No, you're doing it eloquently. All right. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. (laughs) Burnsy, what do you think? Did I sway you off of Kick-Ass at all? I mean, the top, the top three for me were all pretty close. Um, I think Kick-Ass just got the nod for me because, uh, you know, even as with as unique as the as Kingsman is, um, you know, Kick-Ass, I feel like at its time was super unique as well. Um, and so they both were kind of in that same spot. Um, I actually had Stardust at number two but um, and Kingsman at number three. But um, I don't know. There's not a lot of difference between all three of them. I can understand the fact that, uh, you know, since this is what's synonymous with Matthew Vaughn, that I can see that being the case um, for why it should be number one as well. Um, And it's really where he hit his stride. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. I I could go either way as well. I'm not going to fight strongly either way. Well, I feel like Casey and I are both locked in. Burns is kind of on the fence. Like, Phoenix, I think you need to... um... I think Casey went with. I think Casey said that he wouldn't jump I mean, off his I, roof I, if we. I, I, <laughs> right, like I, I would still have Kickass number one, but I am not gonna. Like, if we go with Kingsman, it's not gonna hurt my feelings. Well, we're still split two to two. Like, the, I see the advantage of having an odd number of people <laughs> on a show. Well, I. Kick-Ass, I agree. It's a unique film. It's where he starts getting his chops in as far as figuring out how he wants to do the action scenes and filming and stuff. And it it 
it's I could see why people like the film and and it's and Hit Girl is a really fascinating character as well. But I feel like the Secret Service movie is just smoother around the edges. I mean, Eggsy, you follow him and he is a wonderful character to follow and you also have the guiding influence of um harry and so i just feel like it's more well put together film um overall i'm not being as eloquent as you but that's (laughs) what i can say so but so with the deadlock do we like flip a coin for who wins or what i mean i'll Ah, give it to kingsman yeah go with kingsman all right Hooray, the host gets his way. That's uh, that's good podcast right there. Just filibust until everyone falls in line. <laughs> All right, so our final rankings for the Matthew Vaughn films. Uh, number eight, The Kingsman. Number seven, Argyle. Number six, Kingsman Golden Circle. Number five, Layer Cake. Number four, X-Men First Class. Number three, Stardust. Number two, Kick-Ass. And number one... Uh, Kingsman, The Secret Service. That is our marathon show on uh, Matthew Vaughn and his eight feature films. Next month, Billy... We have, Fe- to, we have to re-record this every time a new movie of his comes out, right? Yeah. And we'll have to talk about all of them again. <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. Until then, next month, Phoenix, Billy, and I are going, going to do a World War II theme show discussing Band of Brothers and the board game Undaunted, or perhaps Memoir 44. We'll see exactly how that shakes out in the coming weeks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Phoenix at Phoenix and Logic OIO on Instagram, for Casey at Dr. Underscore Casey on X, and for Hobbybox Joe Burns <clears throat> at Hobbybox Burns on X and twitch.tv slash Hobbybox Burns, I'm Thompson Logic at Thompson Logic OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids. Just kidding, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real f***ing funny, Hobbybox. <laughs>